See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derrick Podcast. Check, check, check. One, two. Yo, 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 yo. Go ahead and go a little bit. Hello. It's G Money Mustache. Ta-da, we're live. Woo. So, uh, I've been saying your name wrong. <laughs> Everybody says my name wrong. So, I actually, uh, I have two middle names. Uh, one, it's, it's Sean and Paul, and Sean's my dad's name. So, whenever anybody asks me my name, or like if uh, a fast food worker or something, if somebody needs a name to call out, I just give them Sean, because Gareth, it's always, it's a three-step process giving someone my name, usually. So, I... Uh, I usually go for that, but uh, it's a—it's uh, actually a Welsh name. I'm not Welsh at all, but uh, it's one of King Arthur's knights in the the old tales. And so my mom read the story when she was younger, and she was just super into this particular story because the story of Gareth is that um, uh, his mother is his mother sends him to King Arthur's court, and he is sent as like a kitchen boy or whatever. And he works in the kitchens and he's always trying to become a knight. But uh, Guinevere, uh, the king's wife, won't let him like become a knight because like she knows his mom or something and like she just wants to keep him safe. And then one day this lady comes in and she's like, oh, my, you know, my lady uh, needs help. She's besieged by the this knight, and you know we need someone from the castle to go and uh, rescue her, basically. And so Guinevere actually picks Gareth to go on this mission, and the chick, uh, the lady in waiting or whatever, who's come to receive him, is like, "Yo, are you kidding me? Like, you're giving me this kitchen boy? Like, I refuse." And Guinevere is like, "No, like he's he's a big dude. He's gonna do his job. He's gonna be a knight. Like he's going." And so the whole story. And I've read uh, someone's like dissertation for their uh, their like university class, but apparently the he goes through three trials, and so basically she forces him to ride behind her at all times, and like basically is just a complete cunt to him the entire time, and he's just super chill with it, and he's just like, you know what, like I'm here to do this job, and this is you know this is what's going to get done, and so each time they come to a river, there's a knight. Uh, holding the ford and she, she's like oh okay like i'm gonna go across and i talk this night first it's like the green knight then it's the red knight and then it's the black knight but each time she goes across and she talks to the knight and she is like yo like this fucking kitchen boy is like following me basically i need you to kill him like kill him and then you know we can figure something out but just like yo i'll, I'll call him over and just kill him for me and so he defeats the green knight and i believe he lets him live and then Lancelot actually comes in ahead of him and destroy and destroys like the Red Knight. But then he takes the Red Knight's armor, and the lady comes up to him and is like, "Yo, can you kill this guy?" And Lancelot's like, "Well, that's not really what I do, but I'll fight him, and you know, we'll see if he's actually a knight." So I have to go across the fort again, fight Lancelot, and I fight him to like, is it Lancelot or it's it's another? It's like Gawain. It's one of the one of the top guys, and my. My guy like fights him to where I'm defeated, but it's like an honorable defeat. And so he whips off his helmet and he's like, you're fucking legit. Why are you being such a bitch to him? Like, this guy's fine. 
And she's like, oh, like if a real legit knight says that he's legit, like that's pretty dope. And then they get to the black knight, who apparently the first two are, are meant to symbolize like parts of marriage, like kind of tests in marriage. And then the black knight is supposed to symbolize like death, basically like the final, the final test of, you know, your time on earth with, you know, your loved one or whatever. And so he ends up beating that knight. And there's two versions of the story. There's a version of the story where he marries the girl in the tower. And there's a version of the story where he marries the girl that was being a bitch to him the whole time because that's like the kind of coming around story. But as far as historically, he would have married the girl in the tower because he rescued her. And then I end up... So it's actually the catalyst for the end of the whole series is my death because Lancelot starts plotting against the king uh, to take Guinevere away. And they're having... Guinevere and Arthur are having a wedding and Lancelot comes in in full armor to abscond with her and Gareth is there without armor because he's uh, an honorable character and he is uh, cut down by Lancelot without armor and all of the Welsh, that's what starts the Welsh like civil war basically because all the Welsh are from Gareth's side and they, uh, Gawain and uh, yeah, whoever else, there's a bunch of Gwas. But uh, they all come in, and that's like the end of the the story. Is that's the civil war that ends the the book or whatever is uh, between those two sides. So she really liked the story uh, for his like I guess the chivalry aspect, and just he's he's kind of like a pinnacle. He never does anything even remotely like bad. Like he's always like just a good character, but he's kind of like supposed to be written that way, like as kind of an archetype a little bit. And so, yeah, it's not like the most famous night at all, but my mom really liked the story. And so that was, there's been a lot of times where that kind of story structure has really matched up in my life. And it's like, it's funny how things like that work. Well, I can even even hear you talking about it. <clears throat> can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah, I can okay, hear you. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, even hearing you talk about it, this thing kind of went loopy over here. What's going on? Usually it scrolls along with it. Okay. I don't know. But uh, you, you know, you said my guy, or you even said I think you said me a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> all right, dude, he's really living this out. I definitely identify with uh, I, the story. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's freaking awesome to have uh, almost like a a role model in the mm. sense of a, of a myth. Yeah, and and myths and legends and folklore, the Bible as a mm -hmm. as a historical script, whether or not someone believes in it from a, a spiritual level, but even just looking at it historically absolutely, is really fascinating. How, have you been into myth, legend stories for a while? So I was fortunate enough. Uh, so I, I went to one year of university up at uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And uh, I had no idea what level of university that was. Like I thought it was basically like the community college, not community college, but like just the local university. But it's like the second best university in Canada and like it's like the same level as Berkeley and so I was definitely not prepared for that from uh, kind of my my high school positioning that uh, led me there but uh, I dropped all the classes except one I got signed up for what uh, is apparently the hardest class you can take outside of uh, the sciences mm -hmm. like uh, it's an English class but you read 26 different classic novels over the semester and then you have to write an essay or you have to, so they go two by two you have to compare and contrast two of the novels and then write an essay about the comparison 
and it's all seen through the mirror or the lens of monster in the mirror. And so the very first one, like just an example, the very first two we had were uh, Homer's Odyssey and Genesis as mythological uh, like uh, creation stories. Some light reading. No, exactly. And then viewed <laughs> through Monster in the Mirror and like, who are we or whatever. What's uh, what's Monster in the Mirror? Monster in the Mirror is more just like the concept of like identifying yourself like clearly and s- seeing all the parts of humanity and like just it's it's a perception type thing. Mm. Like it, it's basically, it's meant to be whatever you take from it, honestly. Because each book, like if we're doing, we did Hobbes and Rousseau the same time and they obviously have counter countering ideas about the monster in the mirror of humanity and like how humanity actually like, you know, coexists, I guess. And so, yeah, there was a lot of pairing up of some really cool stuff, but in particular, yeah, the first one that we looked at was Genesis and uh, Homer's Odyssey in the realm of this is, this is a people telling their story, like take away all of the, uh, you know, super, supernatural elements and uh, anything overly spiritual. And it is the story of a, a, gr- uh, a group of hunter-gatherers, basically, or like shepherd people that went to creating societies. And, you know, that's why it's all lineages, right? Like, uh, who begot who begot who? Like, that's a history. Like, you know, it doesn't matter to anyone for like the last 5,000 years, any of those names. But they were apparently important enough to be put down because, you know, that was the history that people were trying to write at that time. And so it's, yeah, it's definitely been a, a large part of that. And then even the overarching history of uh, religions in general, the fact that the majority of all the religions from that section of the world, very large section of the world, all have, you know, the son of God, the son of the sun. Uh, there's, you know, three bodies to it. There's... Uh, is immaculate conception. There's the flood myths. Like all this stuff is passed down and uh, reincorporated by all different religions, right? When uh, so, one of the things that really fascinated me about like Genesis and everything too is that I mean, well, I mean, just even the Old Testament, it talks about giants in there. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is that the word matrix is mm-hmm. actually used a fair number of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, when you when you read the Bible, let's say let's take out the supernatural, like you said, mm-hmm. and let's take out the, you know, magic or anything of it. Mm-hmm. When they use a word like giant, I mean, it seems like it's a very intentional, powerful, powerful word. Do you think they just meant large people or actual giants? Well, uh, from what I understand of the biblical text, the actual like Hebrew word is Nephilim or whatever uh, mm-hmm. for the giants. And those, the Nephilim are, I, I may be getting this completely wrong, but they're like spiritual beings as well. And they're, they're similar to like Anunnaki type thing, I guess. Like they, they come down and they're not exactly described exactly as like humanoids. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm maybe misremembering, but I feel like that's, that's the, the, the term is like the Nephilim or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh I'm not a proponent of the ancient aliens theory. Uh, I think there's, I think there's ancient cultures for sure, and like possibly even like overarching like cultures with like uh, we were talking about. And I have, I don't know how they've gotten how they've gotten along on this, but uh, you've seen the the Bosnian pyramid or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's in 
in Bosnia now they've I mean it's a pyramid they've if you look at it uh, just online you can see it but they've started actually digging at it and it's yeah it's stone underneath there's just this giant hill and they started looking at it and they're like oh that's a it's a pyramid and I don't I don't think it's a great conspiracy that humans managed to construct pyramids you know in different places because I mean it's a basic it's one of the most basic shapes that you can achieve going upwards that's actually stable right like without without heavy mortar and like serious serious buttressing uh, it's hard to make a vertical structure but for simple people the concept of four stones one in the middle uh, creates a pyramid right like I think uh, yeah I think humans have been smart for a really long time and it's I think we just have no idea how smart or how long and I'm interested to see for sure yeah, I'm getting the chills as you say that too, because it's, you know, when you think about solving things, one of the things that's happening right now is is with people being so in tune with their phones and connected mm. and like really reactionary. It doesn't give the brain the space yep. that, you know, even as a, I think even as a teenager, all of the time that I had to quote unquote be bored or something, yep. right? You kind of figure stuff out and you get creative and you think of people navigating the star there's some really fascinating uh, mm-hmm. geometrical things people did with maps using oh, for sure planets and you look at like the mayan calendar all these things mm-hmm. that were uh, in a sense you know uh, of predictability mm-hmm. but based on on math or just yeah. staring at things and, and figuring them out with your one thing i find really fascinating is we're taught from a young age to see the difference in things mm. you know this is how that's different that's outside the tribe it's yeah us, it's them, it's whatever. When you were doing your your uh, studies with these ancient myths, did the did the man in the mirror? You said or monster in the mirror. Mm, yeah, the monster in the mirror theme. Did that help you find similarities when you were trying to contrast some of these texts? Uh, well, definitely. Like a big part of the monster in the mirror is understanding the other, because the other is just a reflection of yourself, right? Like it, anything that you think as as other that person or that being sees the exact same thing back at you, right? So it is definitely a huge part of, I think, maturing any thought process to realize that there is no like basis basis point to actually see things from. Like ev- everything's shifting, everything's relative at all times. And even though, you know, you feel like, you know, it's classic, you feel like the center of the universe in your own head. But as soon as you realize that and, you know, I, I realized as a, at a young age and I was literally like, you know, talking to my parents. I'm like, so everybody else is literally just like thinking their own thoughts and just doing their own thing and like <laughs> building their own reality, basically. And so, yeah, I, I, I was lucky enough to have a family that um, was very accepting. Uh, like we, we grew up super religious. I, like I was born in a Mennonite village, but um, my mother... After we moved away from that community, she really allowed us to. I mean, she 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 wanted to not put us through the same things that she put she was put through, which was like in extreme indoctrination and like cultish behavior. And then my dad wanted us not to go through what he went through, in that he had a, a physically abusive household. And so they basically geared like they they haven't been together for twenty years. They're like the worst married couple that it could ever be. But they had a very particular goal. Uh, in mind for their raising of their children, and they never let uh, any of their own interpersonal kind of issues uh, cloud that. So I was very fortunate 
uh, when I was like 10 years old, we were going to, we were driving to church uh, here in San Diego after just, we'd moved probably two years ago from uh, uh, Canada. And we had this awesome church and everybody was friends of ours there. Uh, but I was just riding in the car and I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, I like all this stuff that I'm learning like outside the church and like you guys are saying that this makes sense and like it's science and it makes sense. And then these people in the church are literally telling me the opposite stuff. Do I have to listen to those people? Mm. And like, I don't think I want to listen to those people anymore. And the arrangement was just, yeah, you don't have to come into like service or whatever, but you know, it's Sunday, you're 10 years old, like you're coming with us wherever we go. Uh, And so I would just go, they would go into service. Uh, my brothers were young enough that they just hung out with the kids stuff and you know, it wasn't really impactful for them. But uh, I would go and I would uh, help in the kitchen. And we had like big you know, luncheons afterwards. And so I would just cook in the kitchen and hang out and just, you know, I would always come in with the kitchen staff and get communion just to get a sip of wine or whatever, just to, to be fun. Because uh, there was nothing, you know, I wasn't going to sit outside. Uh, but eventually, as I got older, I started just completely exiting from that. But uh, I was, it, that was a good uh, introduction to the ability to kind of let go and and see other points. Because if it had been forced on me, I think I would have had a much more negative kind of response to it. But I was able to kind of be around it and be non-confrontational in my agnosticism and uh, there's plenty of times over the years that, you know, it's um, my dad fell away from the church. You know, he was getting a divorce and just, you know, all, all this stuff. And, you know, just naturally over time, he has a strong background in it. So he's kind of moving back towards it a little bit. And there's definitely like still no pressure. But it's it's interesting over the years. We've definitely had a few conversations. And it's, it's funny because, you know, I feel like I remember everything my dad said over the years because, you know, when... I hate it because whenever my brothers repeat something that I said years ago and they're just like saying it like it's fact and I'm just like, oh, oh, damn, that's like words are powerful, like, mm-hmm. you know, especially when people care about you. And so, yeah, there's there's certain times where I'm just like, bro, like you totally that really that's what you think. That's what you think about this topic. And he's like, well, that's yes, that's what I think about this topic. And I'm like, all right, like, cool, like because, you know. That's fine. You're everybody's entitled to change their mind and you know whatever. Uh, but it's it's a really interesting dynamic in my family for sure. Uh, having come from the deepest depths of like so my my dad's parents are uh, evangelicals, wow. but they're like legitimate evangelicals. Like they're they're not pro Trump because any evangelical anyone who actually espouses the words of Jesus Christ cannot be for that man because like it it just goes against everything that <laughs> is harder than you thought <laughs> no, it's actually softer than i thought i was gonna break it oh and, yeah uh, but i'm listening yeah yeah no no, no. <laughs> we got delicious chocolates in front of us and fudges oh, i'm so i'm gonna have to grab one soon dude i, I did oh yeah, yeah i don't need a lot of chocolate but i just really today i was like you know what been good yeah i was surprised <laughs> by that like uh this is uh this is your local candy store too balboa candy oh it looks so good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my... So anybody that takes the word of, of Jesus. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's hard to uh, to figure out how, it, how someone can sell, you know, 
yeah, righteousness, and then B for a lecherous liar, you know, whatever. And and that's that's basically ancient history at this point. But the interesting thing about uh, just when you are that serious about your beliefs is uh, when they were, uh, when my dad first got his first uh, bank account, they were like, all right, son, like, that's fine. Bank accounts are part of the modern world. But uh, just so you know, we will never co-sign a loan for you. Like, never. It's in the Bible. Uh, you can't make money off of money. And also, I'm pretty sure Jesus specifically said, like, don't co-sign a loan for a leper because it's a bad investment. Or like, Did you just get called a leper? Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's some it's some old old stuff. But uh, he's just like, okay, like you know, I wonder if that'll ever come up again. And then uh, when my younger brother was coming up to Canada to go to university, he wasn't emancipated, and my parents lived here. Uh, he had to work for two years before he could actually apply for a student loan himself. And my parents lived here, so they couldn't co-sign for him. So he, so my dad called his his parents and was like, "Hey, like, you know, my son needs a a co-signer for his student loans." And like, Sean, we talked about this, and he's like, "Oh shit, yeah, we did. Fair enough. Like, you guys still have that belief?" They're like, "Yep. I mean, that's it's in the Bible." Blah blah. blah. He's like, "Okay, like, fair enough. Like, you know, you told me about this twenty years ago. That that's what, what? you said." One of the things I find interesting, I'm, I'm curious about that scripture now too. I've been reading this uh, biography called Titan about John D. Rockefeller. Oh, nice. And he uh, he had a lot of opportunity to, you know, not go a certain way in life, but mm. he did. And one of the things he found, I think it seemed like pretty young on, he started donating money because there's all this controversy like, oh, when he was old and wealthy, he just said like, oh, now I'll give away money. But he was actually like at 10 years old giving money back or as soon as he started nice. making money, like donating. And That's super cool. Yeah, he he really leaned into the church mm. um, for social activities and for an outlet, like singing, mm-hmm. singing the church hymns and things because he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, he was literally working a lot from a young age. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, he he loaned money a lot. One of his first mm-hmm. experiences learning and he might have been the person that coined that phrase to make money a slave oh, okay, uh, yeah. because that was one of his like early things he figured out he made a loan to someone at seven percent like seven percent interest and mm-hmm. collected at the end of the year and he's like this is incredible yeah. yeah but he was he was baptist but apparently like very you know very devout in terms of his faith and mm-hmm. scripture so you know hearing that makes me wonder about how sometimes uh, something like uh, the Bible gets interpreted mm-hmm. differently too. Oh, for sure. Like, uh, I mean, especially with all the the different denominations and stuff, I think it's, you know, the more... What, so even, again, with, with my dad being a Christian, he doesn't interpret the Bible. Like, you don't even... Like, first of all, the average Christian hasn't actually read the Bible. Like, <laughs> it's pretty shocking. And me and my brother... Uh, my brother is a huge reader and a huge, he loves logic. Uh, and so we, we were friends up in Canada with uh, this family of, uh, of Mexican people. We're Mexican too, but uh, they, they're from Mexico. They're good friends. And they uh, were religious, uh, unsurprisingly. And so they brought us uh, down to their like, uh, group, group meetings or whatever. They're, they're just fun time. We played volleyball and we talked about you know, scripture and stuff. But we actually talked about scripture and like they had the one printout of the one sentence that they were allowed to talk about basically. And Evan's like, okay, but like I brought a Bible so we could talk about the Bible. Do you want to talk about the Bible? Because this scripture is like cool, but it's like contradicted like farther in. And he's, he'd be better to like, he's read it like four times. I've, I've 
barely read it once, but uh, I also don't get the same pleasure out of uh, that particular debate as he does. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I crossed that bridge a, a long time ago, mm. uh, personally. And uh, yeah, for, for him, it's more the, the logic puzzle and just trying to see how, how people think about things. And for me, I've just kind of figured out that people will believe whatever they want to believe. And you can only give them the tools. And it's unfortunate that basically everybody's handicapped by their own parents in whatever they're going to believe. Like, you know, mm. like I, I, I got plenty of great beliefs, but I wasn't taught like how to save money properly. Or like, you know, there's, there's a lot of information that parents can impart on someone and if they happen to spend the majority of that time telling them things out of a book that, you know, was written 2,000 years ago and, uh, you know, unknown authors and a million authors since then, like, you know, proofreading and editing it, uh, I think that's an unfortunate waste of human brain power. And uh, there are some really good scripture about saving money. Oh, and for sure. And stuff like that, too. But yeah, what, what you're saying is fascinating in the sense that I, I had never really... Um, I had read parts of the Bible, pieces, a friend introduced it, but I was I was gifted a, vibe, a Bible last year. And I, I went through this book. In fact, it's over there. It's called The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Oh, nice. I did the 365 days of that where you just read a little passage and then have some thoughts hmm. on it. And that, for me, it was fun to do that in the morning because it only took five minutes. Perfect. And I, I usually would read at night, but I realized just doing that daily when I was finished with that book, I had this craving for more morning reading. I mean, I would mm. do audible at the gym or audible mm-hmm. running. So I was getting knowledge in the morning or information or something fresh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a book. Yeah. And so I started reading the Bible for, you know, usually somewhere between seven and 10 minutes. Okay. And nice. because I have folks in my in my life that are devoutly Christians, mm-hmm. you know, really um, believers, good believers in, in faith mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, Mormon, Catholic. Yeah. When I read something, like, I really want to understand it, especially if I'm digging into the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I started, you know, capturing uh, phrases, highlighting stuff, writing them down. You know, a couple of words, I'm like, man, this feels like a really new word to be in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't this thing, isn't this book a couple thousand years old? Yeah. Like, why is this word in there? And and I found some people were really good about it in terms of, hey, I actually don't know. That's a good question. Let me mm-hmm. go find out. Yeah. Or they'd have a, a conversation. Okay, well, you know what? If you look at this part in, you know, the this different book and they would refer me somewhere else. So they mm-hmm. were super knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Some people, when I asked a question, were like, well, you just have to believe. Yeah. And I'm like, well... Not only really asking about believing anything. I'm just asking you, like, what is this? Yeah. What does this mean? But it, because it... Any question is... A question, and some people, yeah, yeah, don't don't like their their beliefs or their. That's when I realized, like, they had just been, you know, as much as I love some of these folks, they had really only gotten their information from mm-hmm. someone on a pulpit that was telling them this is what you're supposed to think. Versus, I think if you really want to believe in something, you're going to, you, you know, you, learn. you still need base facts, right? Yeah, like, well, to learn the ins and outs of it too. Yeah. Like, if you don't. To really understand something, you can't just repeat it. You mm-hmm. actually have to work to understand it. Yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely feel that, and you know, it happens in in everything, right? Like again, it's it's just the particular fixation that religion has on people that makes it so prevalent. But obviously, that that same thought process, that same kind of closed mindedness, that same uh, 
you know, some people call it groupthink, you know, whatever, whatever it is, that's definitely prevalent, I think, everywhere that, uh, that humans interact. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to check something real quick. No worries. Well, I'm that, gonna, that went up. That was good. I'm going to have, have a piece of chocolate. I think we're okay. Yeah, okay, it's coming through. I just saw some really low spots. So, oh my god! What did you have? Did you? Oh, is that that's the honeycomb? Yeah, it's the honeycomb. is it actual honeycomb in there? It's like a honey brittle of some sort. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm gonna get a little knife, I think, to cut this dark that. peanut just, butter yeah. chocolate cup. So you, um, so what kind of you know influence? Obviously, you've shared a variety of thoughts. What kind of influence do you think the the church and family life, uh, you know, religion? in a sense, has had on you around your values? Um, that's a tough one because um, I, I guess I kind of cons- prescribe to the the idea that you don't need, that there are certain kind of universals around values. And it's it, I guess it's hard to make that argument because there are so few family groups that aren't like, based around religion like i can say that well i got all my my upbringing type stuff from you know what my mom and dad kind of taught me and uh a lot of what they believe in is non-religious but uh i think some people would argue that it's the the uh the social background of religion that's kind of created morality but I, i i think it's basically the opposite or like kind of the the understanding is that obviously as humans got more food and stuff, we, we talked about this last time with Mark, as they had the surplus of food, they were able to uh, division of labor and people were able to, to do different things. And whoever had the most food, this is kind of the, the big man theory of history, whoever had the most food uh, kind of dictated doctrine basically. And they just needed something to agree upon. I think we talked about this last time too, that you know you had to wear like the objective of everybody wearing the same outfit or like having, you know, uh, identifiable traits in their community is that if you see somebody out in the wild that's wearing something else or that speaks differently or acts differently, then you're able to know that, you know, the differences, I guess, is kind of one of the, one of the opinions. Uh, I was kind of goes back to what I was thinking about earlier saying, you know, when you were assign that past to compare and contrast Mm. one of the most impactful i think courses i ever took it was at a community college and it was like an advanced you know if you wanted to try to go to a a great university you took some of these advanced classes Mm -hmm. and it was a critical thinking class Mm. and so we were given these crazy in fact that really cool book right there ways of reading is from that class and i took that class in like 2009 that's awesome yeah there's still a there's still uh, bookmarks in there now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I've, I've loaned that out. I don't like the loan books too much, but I've mm-hmm. given out, so it's an anthology. But you would have, like, Heinrich Himmler. Okay. That was his name, right? Like, yep. Hitler's dude. Yep, yep. And uh, you would take that, and then you would read, like, Mouse, M-A-U-S, which was a graphic yep. novel, but it yep. won a, a Pulitzer Prize. Absolutely great, great And book. then you would take, uh, like, the uh, uh, Michael Mc... Or, Mike McKinnon, mm-hmm. like subdividing insights. You take all these crazy difference. Those two are not the best because I can kind of put two that were in the same book. Mm. But uh, the Panopticon, like take these drastically different, highly philosophical texts, mm-hmm. read them about two different subjects, like about castles leading with curio cabinets all the way to mm-hmm. modern homes. 
and then read a book on Nazis, mm-hmm. and you would think on the surface, nothing similar. And then the question would be like, figure out how these two are alike. Yeah. And you're going, what? And you're spending 10 minutes reading two sentences. Yeah. At least I was at that point trying to figure out what like a compound, mm-hmm. complex sentence where there's four words woven together that's like 12 thoughts. Yeah. And you're going, wow. And that, I think that really shaped me in terms of finding how things are more alike. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. Nazis, but uh, <laughs> no, but uh, there's there's a huge connection even between the the castles and uh, home building styles and Nazis in that like the the fixation with fascists on cultural history, right? Because that's that's what actually defines like a fascist government or whatever. It's it's one of the defining factors because obviously it has to be authoritarian. They they have you know they're militaristic. But they're also they have a an obsession with uh, cultural mythology, and that's why uh, like the basically the attack on uh, modern art is a, a pseudo fascist like lamery uh, because that was this literally all that they talked about in uh, like 1930s uh, Germany was oh can you believe these fucking disgusting artists these Jewish artists these uh, degenerates that are creating non uh aesthetic you know and then you go uh, all the pieces from that time period literally every single one is like boys you know naked boys throwing it you know whatever like going back to because also they were super obsessed with uh carrying on the the roman legacy uh mm-hmm. that's why i mean the fuhrer is the kaiser is caesar and they they were obsessed with taking it because technically the, the Roman lineage is the most valuable historical ethos uh, that exists in the West. So it was originally uh, taken into France uh, by Lothar, I believe. And his sons basically fucked everything up because they, they had a bad uh, system for dividing land. They like divided it amongst all their kids instead of uh, whatever. And so that, that was the decline of the Western uh, West Francia. And then eventually it ended up that Charlemagne uh, would, regained the, the Holy Roman Emperor, the, the lineage of emperors of Rome, and he brought that to Germany. And that is uh, what was latched onto by Hitler and them uh, to prove the, the virility of German... Because, uh, you know, they, they pulled from, from runic stuff and from uh, more Scandinavian-type stuff. But in particular, the the backbone for their explanation why Germany was was what it was was that they loved their columns. They loved, you know, I mean, everything about the uh, Third Reich's aesthetic was trying to co-opt the the grandeur of Rome and the that kind of uh, empiric uh, lineage, I suppose. And that's why they hated the Italians too, because they were like these these guys suck, and they you know they're trying you know. It, it's super funny because real, 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 real racists, like there's only Northern Europe. Like you have to be from Northern Europe. You have to be white. Like even Southern Europe, uh, Italians, Spanish, uh, half of the French, like the countryside of France, the non-metropolitan French, everybody in the Balkans, those are all subhumans too. They're just less subhuman. They're the lazy Europeans. And so Hitler had no intention of, like, I mean, 
he was using them to you know and do whatever. That's his viewpoint. That's not that, your viewpoint. No, no, no. Yeah, that's a very brown man sitting across from me right yeah, now. Yeah, no, yeah. Those, <laughs> when people, yeah, when people are talking about how like, oh, blah blah, blah like, because now it's really interesting. Uh, obviously, how different cultures get assimilated into whitehood because whitehood in America mm-hmm. just basically just means you're accepted and it's just you you just don't have to worry anymore. And so after World War II, Jews were accepted into whitehood. Italians were accepted into whitehood. Uh, Irish were accepted into whitehood. Irish were not considered like white. They, you know, the classic uh, no dogs, no Jews, and no Irish allowed signs like totally existed in America. There was, you know, Irish were drafted first because like because they were the, you know, the non-whites of Europe. Like it was, it's a really weird concept. Um, and the the depth of like those types of, of racial theory are are so baffling and people don't even like really understand like how deep these people think because it's just like, oh, you know, like, oh, they're all white people. It's like, no, like these people like are so fucking obsessed and they're so fixated on one concept. And that's that's how they're able to 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 boil their, their worldview down so much is because it really is super simple and it is not expansive and They've got five things to hold on to. And for some people, five things to hold on to is easier than, you know, having a completely open world. And and even, you know, the more you're exposed to things, the harder it is to be ignorant or or malicious in most of those cases. Like, Well, it's actually a style of thinking that's taught in business. In mm-hmm. order to be very effective at something is to just keep it very simple because then you mm-hmm. have a very narrow focus. Now, that can be helpful if you're are if you building a business sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, being provincial, like literally narrow-minded thinking, not helpful mm-hmm. in, other, in other walks of life. No, absolutely. And especially for, for cultural for building a culture like that's that's the beauty of America and Canada and I mean we these are just the examples because that people have been able to go in waves to those places but um the expanse of of knowledge that comes from the mixing of cultures uh in places like that are is really incredible like uh you know if France and Germany are not friends they're not necessarily going to be exchanging you know there's there's a there's a reticence to to accept the the neighbor but in north america at least within again the the accepted you know cultures that that kind of uh, melting pot has a huge i think cultural benefit for sure so one thing about canada that fascinates me too like the us has an identity right whether you're republican or democratic or somewhere else like there's a very strong American identity. It's, mm-hmm. it's independence. It's, you know, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I think of Canada, I think it does have a, an identity, especially getting to know so many Canadians over the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you were surprised a little bit when I was like, oh, Steinbeck. And you're oh, like, yeah. what? And then I was like, Red Deer? And he's, you're like, He's naming what? all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he knew Abbotsford too. Yeah. 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 So, but, I mean, it's uh, it's been really fun learning about it. It's also mm-hmm. one of the things that fascinates me thinking about the future of a place that is so welcoming to so many people when you have mm-hmm. the Toronto area. Oh yeah. You have the, you know, Vancouver uh, as well. And all the prairies, honestly, like Canada is an incredibly underpopulated country. And, uh, that's been known for a long time. And there's, uh, there's a huge push in all the prairie, prairie nation or prairie. 
Uh, provinces, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up in in America. I, I don't even know Canadian history, or like I don't know our presidents at the very least. But um, get out of here. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, there's a huge push for sure to bring in uh, immigrants. I mean, uh, there's plenty of uh, economic studies that I- immigrants are a boon to societies. Like we we don't take in the worst people. Like even the the refugees that have nothing, these are still good people. These are people of value, like that just don't have means or resources right now. You put these people in a good situation and they're going to start a business. Like again, the entrepreneurship in amongst immigrants is higher than uh, any other group. Uh, in, in Canada? In the US too. Oh, okay. Yeah, just because like we're talking about people who actively moved here. Like again, my family are immigrants and that's all they push us to do because there isn't really that same opportunity to just meld right in and just go with the flow or whatever. Oh, tons of people do it, but again, the the stats if are. You're going to start at the bottom. You might as well build your own thing. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And and again, there there is an aspect of being an outsider that makes you think differently. Like because you again, you you already are coming at it from a different angle. You might as well just just keep coming at it from your angle. Like you might as well just I, keep your angle. Your I also think you can see more opportunity, right? Mm. So if I go like, uh, if I go anywhere and I'm, I'm from a certain place and I just kind of have this, there are things that are easy for us to take for granted. Yeah. Right. Uh, this message that uh, was strong with uh, business life today was this concept of, I get to do something instead of, I have to do something. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, what happened to me where I actually have said that a few times? Like, oh, I have yeah, to yeah. do this. And I'm like, I used to be so good about that. Mm-hmm. But if you're an immigrant and you go a place and you see, you know, people taking something for granted and you could, you didn't have that yeah. where you're from, that immediately becomes an opportunity. Absolutely. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the the easiest example is obviously like food service and stuff like that. Like if you, if you go to a country and you notice that they all, that they don't have any uh, hot hamburgers, you're just like, I can't find a hamburger here. <laughs> How long is it going to take you to be like, well, I could always just sell some hamburgers. I bet you somebody would be interested in my hamburgers. And you start small and you just go from there, right? And yeah, we were talking about this uh, like last week about how, yeah, a few years ago, there wasn't any hamburgers in, you know, uh, like Tokyo or, or somewhere like mm-hmm. overseas. And now Shake Shack, the first thing that uh, my wife, she's sitting outside, she's from Chiba, but the first thing is like, oh, is there hamburgers there? It's like, yeah, there's Shake Shack. It's like, yeah, but you could have been the Shake Shack. Like it's mm. it's not out of the realm of possibility to insert yourself in those positions when you already have that kind of knowledge base. And so food, food, food is like the number one example, just because all immigrants basically start like a food business. But then it, I think it's interesting personally how different groups um, tend to uh, go into the same field. Like uh, I did construction for a long time uh, in Vancouver. And so uh, from my experience uh, on large uh, construction job sites, uh, East Indian people uh, tend to make up the majority of drywallers. Uh, And you'll see they'll bring out a full like tandoori grill and they'll be grilling non like on on construction <laughs> so sites. Good. Oh, it's super sick. But uh, but then the uh, the concrete finishers are all of Latin descent. Like 
and uh, and it works to like a you know a disturbing degree because someone will, a Latin person would be like oh you know I work in construction I'll be like oh are you, are you a concrete finisher and he's like oh how'd you know I'm just like I've been on a couple of construction sites and so or even the the classic I love it here in uh, in California is the uh, small donut shops run by uh, Asian families like uh, of I believe mostly Chinese descent but uh, yeah those are my favorite go into the little donut shop and uh there's one near near my house super donuts number two in uh encinitas and every time you go in there you order something and she just puts like three or four extra donuts in there just because that's how what she's always been doing and it's you know i i go back there every time because you know it's just fun like there's a little surprise in there but yeah they don't have that particularly i don't know uh, that's just something i growing up here i always noticed was there was all these little individually owned family owned Chinese donut shops and I was just like I don't know what it is that made them all kind of go towards that like it was a good idea it's fried dough it's cheap it's easy and people like it but it's I think it's cool and and interesting like it's just a, it's an interesting observation I suppose well and there's like a, there's a whole host all throughout California of uh, like Mexican food places and they are very similar in terms of even the color scheme like oh, yeah. Rigoberto's Alberto's mm-hmm. Roberto's yeah. and it's they're red and yellow in terms of color. So someone figured, hey, let's match McDonald's so on that. So apparently that's all like one family. Like oh, there was the original yeah. Roberto. Yeah. So I think I think but I know all, a member of that family. But they're all independently owned. Yeah. Cause, well, there was a there was like a there was a split <laughs> amongst like three of the brothers or something. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is interesting because they all are the exact same, especially go, down here. Yeah. I can go to Sacramento or I can go to Pacific Beach mm-hmm. and be like number 24 with sour cream and it's the same burrito. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, what? But they're like, I'm like, do you know the look? You know, they don't. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty cool that you figured out something that works and, mm-hmm. and, you know, emulate it. Have you ever had a mochi donut, by the way, since you're talking about I've never donuts. had a mochi donut. Dude, before you, no, when I'm you thinking. leave, leave Friday, mm-hmm. you have to get, if you have time tomorrow, Where's it at? Yeah. there's one, it's like, 12, 15 minutes from here. Okay. It's hard to remember to, to the north remind or south? me. Yeah, it's you oh, want to yeah. hop on hop on the five and go go south a little bit. Oh, okay. But it's super good. So mm. uh this dude, he's the head coach at 10th Planet San Diego. Oh Jesus. Or yeah. actually for San Diego San Diego Combat Academy, excuse okay. me. But he trains at a at a 10th planet and his name is Manolo. And one day he posted mm. mochi donuts and I was like, dude, what are these? And I went mm-hmm. over and and got him, and he, I was like, "This is your fault." And like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, dude, and I crushed up. I mean, it, it's like a oh, they're addicting. Oh, it's so crazy, and it's it's like a you know, donuts kind of heavy when mm-hmm. you eat it. Yeah, uh, I couldn't figure out why. Like, he was like, "Yeah, you know, you can like you, you can eat like six them, of them yeah, or seven so or whatever." You eat one or two, and you're like, "That didn't really feel mm-hmm. like much." So I literally when I was. I actually ate a couple on the way home from the donut place. Oh, and I was yeah. like, that's not cool. Yeah, and I even. saw some of my neighbors outside. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I'm like, if I take this inside, yep. this is going to be gone. So yep. I was just like, here, you want some donuts? And yep. they were pretty stoked. But they're, they got tapioca flavor, like green tea. Okay. All kinds of crazy stuff. Super yeah. good. No. Churro, cinnamon. I'm super down. We waited. Uh, we went to uh, Kamakura, which is... Uh, a little uh, subsection of Tokyo. It's down by the the water. It's like uh, it's their version of a surf town. Uh, so it's super super chill. It reminds you of Encinitas or like any any of the little surf towns here in uh, California. But they also have a, a giant Buddha there. Uh, it's really cool, awesome uh, temple grounds. But uh, we waited we waited in line for 
I don't even know, probably, probably an hour waiting in line with like a, I was the only guy there. It was all like teenage girls waiting in line for this little, this little dessert shop. And it was me and my, my wife and her late mother. And we, yeah, we waited for freaking ever. We finally sit down and it was all they had on the menu was little tiny little things of traditional Japanese mochi. And I was just like, this is what I waited for. Like she was laughing so hard. It was fine. It wasn't overly flavorful. And I was just like, I'm that, you know, I like mochi. I don't like mochi like an hour wait, you know, for, but it was, it was, it was an interesting experience. And I got, uh, that was, uh, yeah, one of the last times I got to really hang out with her mom too, which is cool. We, uh, we, we'd smoke cigarettes outside while, while Tamomi was waiting in line. Dude, you're in fitness. What are you doing smoking cigarettes? Oh, yeah. That was, I don't, I don't, I don't, so can't smoke <laughs> weed in Japan. So that's kind of the, or the first time we went, that was the deal I made. I wasn't as deep into fitness at the time, but the deal was that I could drink my beers. Well, yeah, you can drink in public there. So mm-hmm. anytime we had to get on the train, I would grab a beer at like the train station because they just sell them there. And then if it was a long train ride, like 30 minutes or more, I'd get a tall can and then uh, just sit, you know, Puffing on smokes. They got really good smokes there in Japan. But uh, that was the trade-off for me not smoking weed. Even though my my buddy, uh, so Osaka is the the kind of cool, hip place in Japan. It's it's dirty. Like, it's like a normal city. Like, it's not, like, pristine like the rest of Japan is. It's like, it, it has, like, a little bit of personality. Actually, their, the Osaka Zoo was horrible. Like, just walking around the outside, like, it was pretty bad. But um, it's a really cool city, and it's the uh, it's the street food capital of Japan. Mm. So that's where those takoyakis are, the the squid balls that you see them. They're like flipping them on the grill. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, tons of street food. It's super dope. It's right next to Kyoto, so that's kind of like the hub of the ancient Japanese culture. And then eventually, it got moved to the the eastern uh, capital, which was uh, Tokyo. But uh, uh, sounds about Osaka, but Osaka's. I- Oh, sorry. You can find weed in Osaka, and Osaka, yeah, Osaka <laughs> like has the its weed own. kicked in there for a minute. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's all. That's all I'm thinking about after this for sure. Oh, but uh, so actually, one thing uh, that I w- wanted to ask you because I asked some people, uh, some here in California, kratom is legal. Mm. I don't know if you have experience with kratom or. I've I've read about it. Mm-hmm. I've looked into it. There was a point where I was, uh, you know, inclined to be like, let's see what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And the more I dug in, and I I really went to, I like to look at the, you know, all different parts of something. Mm-hmm. And I found it. It seemed like it was very addictive, mm-hmm. and people can have massive withdrawals with it. So interesting. Uh, yeah, I was surprised because it's touted as this like yeah, cure all healthy thing, or and, at the very least, it helps with uh, withdrawals from like uh, op- opioids and stuff like that. Yeah. Is is one of the things I was. So maybe it's better than opioids, but at the same time, it's. Uh, I was a little surprised to find that because mm. of of what it is advertised as. So I haven't ever tried it. Mm. Yeah, I so uh, my mom. Uh, uh, is she hooked me up with a, a really cool company here, uh, uh, based out of Carlsbad, uh, Spectrum Kratom, and okay. it was interesting because uh, I had no knowledge of it before coming here, and she explained it to me as like it, it's basically like weed, because because uh, I smoke weed to kind of chill out, and I, I I I get a little bit anxiety or like I just overthink stuff, and just like weed weed helps me just like chill out. 
And like, I like to be chill pretty much all the time. <laughs> and so uh, that's that's kind of how, how it works in my life. But she was explaining it to me that, you know, it makes her too, too lethargic and like she's not able to get uh, the efficiency she needs out of life uh, from it. So she had switched to Kratom and I was really skeptical. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Yo, whatever. Um, and so uh, thankfully from the company that she gets it from, they're, they're super particular about like measuring it out and all the capsules are really good. Like it's a really well, I mean, they're based out of Carlsbad. It's a really, really good operation. Uh, and so I finally tried it not long actually before I went to Maui Fit. And A, I found that, well, if you smoke, if you smoke weed with it, it almost has an opioid effect. Wow. Like I, I found that. So just like very. It's super, you just kind of melt like a little euphoric. bit. You, yeah, you kind of roll to the back of your head a little bit. Like mm. not, not in a, a dizzy way, but just like <laughs> you just feel yourself kind of pull back. Mm. And so I was like, okay, she, she takes it without anything and I've taken it without weed too and it's not an overly like overwhelming kind of sensation it's just it's pretty chill and it it keeps you from being overly uh, animated I guess like you know it's it's super mellow but when I went out to Maui Fit and I was asking everybody because you know it's a bunch of uh interesting characters out there like uh we were talking to people who had done you know those uh, the poison dart frog drops combo and, or yeah combo, combo yeah. yeah uh he had just There's gotten a place back in san diego that's really big on that oh really kind of like secretive but, yeah um, i believe it um but um apparently yeah it's big in in hawaii uh there's a there's a guy there's a shaman that's really famous for doing it and so uh shout out to uh alistair alistair aligns uh he's uh one of the guys at maui fit he was he was the fourth member of our our kind of junto group with uh, me mark and uh will but uh, yeah, he went down the rabbit hole of psychedelics in a major way as part of his kind of uh, healing process, and uh, he's still got the the burn marks on his arm because it it you know yeah they burn him stick it in the yeah it's 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 pretty intense and you know he's describing you know throwing up and mm. shitting yourself and you know like I mean <laughs> that's it's a visceral you know bodily response sounds amazing yeah exactly so when when you're meeting people like that you're just like okay like what do you think of this what do you think of this and everybody had the same response uh, as far as Kratom in that they all threw up from it. Huh. Which, when I asked the, the Kratom guys back home, because my, my mom had even told me, she's like, oh, and, you know, there's really shitty ways to get Kratom. And, like, sometimes, you know, you can, you can fuck it up. These people don't fuck it up. And so I went back and I asked him. And he was like, yeah, like, honestly, it's just people are overdosing themselves. Like, because mm. it's a powder in, in most forms that I know of. And so if you're just eyeballing it, like it's very easy to get over the dose that uh, would be comfortable for a person or you know whatever and so i i was just interested in that and i can only speak from my experiences that at the recommended doses that i've taken it at it's extremely calming and chill but i i i definitely uh, understand people's reticence and i'm i'm still intrigued as to other people's opinions on the subject cuz i'm definitely not a subject matter expert in that case well and i i think this is you know in general cuz i'm i'm not a huge fan of the term drugs mm -hmm. because uh someone who may look at uh psychedelic like psilocybin mm -hmm. or cannabis and say oh that's a drug and yeah. then at the same time be taking a a volume or yeah. Percocet or whatever these other things are to yeah. calm there. It's, I, you know, I, I guess I'm very personally, I have discovered that 
especially over the last like six, seven years, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm just extremely, I seem to be ex- extremely sensitive to things. Hmm. Like I don't even consume alcohol at this point because if I hmm. drink something, I notice my my thinking isn't as clear the next day or mm-hmm. my emotions might not be as managed. And I prefer at this point in life to operate in a pretty pretty specific way for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I find that, you know, cannabis, like thinking about that and thinking about what I, what I said about creative concern of it being like withdrawal syndromes, mm-hmm. I think everything is really like that, whether it's sugar. Oh, for sure. You know, sugar, alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, weed, uh, maybe kratom, you know, like oh, I'm yeah. only saying. I, I, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like anything. You you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You you know the intention, the purpose of using it matters. I mean, when people take antidepressants, so they're not allowed mm-hmm. to just stop doing that either. Yeah, because your body gets accustomed to something. So oh, for sure. I guess for for anything, I think what are the you know the pros, what are the 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 cons? I guess pros and cons. Why, why would someone use it? How are they using it? Mm-hmm. And what kind of a, a positive impact does it have on their life? And, uh, you know, does that outweigh the, the, the hole that may appear as a result? Yeah. Well, I think everything's a trade-off. Like, uh, there's definitely, I'm sure, some detrimental effect to the fact that I, I enjoy going through the majority of my life in, in an altered state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a response to something and you know i i haven't figured out exactly you know what to delve into that uh my parents always used to joke they're like oh you know just you know whatever it is like just we'll pay for your your therapy when you're older like it you know wow. just just hold <laughs> on to it we'll we'll fucking you know we'll take care of you when you're older yeah. like you know but every, every you know i'm i'm a huge proponent of of therapy for people in general uh because just just talking about things like you know uh that was that was all i did when i first actually got uh, so I, uh, personally, I, I do recommend there's a, there's a site or, a, an app called BetterHelp, okay. uh, and they do, uh, relatively cheap, uh, totally online, uh, therapy sessions and you can pick your own, you pick your therapist and you can change it anytime. And it's just an online group of, uh, people. And I, I got really lucky. Uh, my, my therapist was a, uh, Marine or not a Marine, uh, Navy, uh, Navy specialist of some sort, like she's she works at the Navy headquarters now. Uh, so she stopped doing, uh, you know, better help because you know she was doing it during COVID or stuff. But uh, I was lucky enough; she was she was a strong female figure, and she was like you know pretty open minded and super cool. And so uh, at the beginning of COVID, I really was not in a close place with most of my family, and one of the main. Uh, efforts there was a lot of efforts made during covid uh including uh getting into shape and like completely revamping the way that i i view health and fitness uh and part of that definitely was uh reconnecting with all sides of my family like including my my religious grandparents i hadn't talked to them in like i mean i see them maybe once a year maybe but even then we don't really talk and so i i actually made the effort and i went out there and i spent like three days with them and I hadn't been back to that part of Canada in almost 20 years, definitely not in any sort of way that I felt at home. And so it was actually really, really, I guess, cathartic or whatever whatever word it is uh, that I was able to go back there and really feel like I went home, uh, even though, you know, my family hasn't lived there in 20 years, but they still live on the farm that my dad didn't grow up on that farm, but I 
that's what I, that's what they had when I was a kid. So anytime I visit them, I visited there, and like they've always got two great Pyrenees, giant dogs running around, and everything was the same enough. And you know, there was a point where me and my granddad were hanging out outside, and you know, we saw a dead hawk on the ground, and he starts talking about you know the the circle of life and how you know you know all all he wants for us is that to to be happy and to have our souls saved and blah blah and I was just like you know what grandpa like that's that's fine like that's not a bad thing to want for your family and blah 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 and he he basically apologized for kind of uh building any of the walls that he built and I was able to apologize for building any of the walls that I built which was a a huge a huge thing we actually um it got to the point I I agreed to go to his uh, Bible study uh, at his local church, which was, you know, awesome. And uh, he's, you know, they're, they're very particular. So if my dad and his girlfriend even go out there, they have separate rooms. They're not allowed to sleep together because they're not technically married, uh, which, you know, again, my dad knows that. So he, he always books a hotel when he goes out there. But obviously they're, they're not big fans of, of smoking weed, even if it's legal, it doesn't matter. And so we're, we're driving back from the, uh, from the, the church group and I was just like, hey, Grandpa, like, you know, uh, on the subject of, like, mutual respect, uh, it'd be really cool if I could walk off your property, smoke my weed, and then come back on your property, and, like, it would all be okay in the morning. You know, like, Grandpa, Grandma doesn't need to know, but, like, you know, while we're in the car, like, is this is this where we're at? And he's, you know, thought about it for a second, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that." That seems seems like it makes sense. Just don't eat all the leftovers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was super cute because uh, I totally did that, and I didn't smell when I came back in, and you know I took took all the measures I possibly could. But still, in the morning, Grandpa got up early and he opened every single window, and I knew why. But Grandma came out, and she's like, "I don't. Why aren't all the windows open? It's a little bit cold this morning." And I was like, you know, "He had my back." So that's pretty cool. Yeah, mutual respect is is a huge part of my life in general, and. Uh, understanding is is super important. Well, you're obviously very intelligent too. I mean, just the the amount of knowledge you have, whether it's about, you know, the story of Gareth with King Arthur or your history or just the way you think about things. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes folks associate uh, something like whether it's Kratom use or cannabis use or whatever, mm-hmm. a certain lifestyle with someone that's not doing much, mm-hmm. you know, with with their life. And you sort of break that mold of the classic 70s um, yeah the stoner, stoner type yeah yeah i mean how do you how do you think it influences you in terms of staying sharp and and how do you use it in a way that you know that doesn't become you i would i would say it is the level of moderation like i i feel like i have the same thing i am affected by things extremely easily like uh again if i have a cup of coffee I was last time I was here. I had a cup of coffee. I was literally sweating my <laughs> face off, and uh-huh. that's totally like to be expected. Like my wife can tell if I've like gone somewhere because I'll go to the, I'll go to the the bar or like the club or something, and I'll I'll not be drinking like intentionally not drinking. I can go around and I can get in for free anywhere in Vancouver, and I just you know tip them five bucks and ask for a soda water. Uh, but if they happen to give me like a Red Bull or something. Like I come home and my wife's like, she's almost scared of me. She's like, your eyes are different. Like you're, you're pinned out. And so when I hear people talk about how much they smoke weed, I don't smoke nearly that much. Like I really enjoy the super low level kind of buzz that it gives me. 
Uh, I don't enjoy getting super, you know, maybe there's a time when I enjoy it, but the objective is definitely not to get super stoned. I definitely like, like, I, I, yeah, for me, it does help mellow me out and keep me at this kind of neutral place that I've been able to be at for the last 20 years. And that place is somewhere where I've been able to, you know, still study or, you know, I can go down the rabbit hole of something and I can spend three weeks like actually learning something and weed doesn't, isn't a detriment to that. But uh, again, I, I hear people talking about how much weed they smoke and it just blows my mind. And I'm just like, that's, that's cool. Like, I guess I wish that I could do that. But at the same time, I'm just like, I don't know. That's a lot of, there's a lot of money and it's a lot of, it's a lot of weed to smoke. Like it's a lot of chemicals put in. <laughs> and I'm I'm not averse to psychedelics. Like um when I was out on on Maui the first night, because I didn't really uh I didn't really connect with anybody the first the first day. And uh there was just a slight lack of uh of construct to the uh, the whole event afterwards. So there there was no like dinner that was planned, there was no reservations anywhere or whatever. But certain people knew to like meet somewhere. And so I, I just wasn't really trying to like chase anything, right? And so my my style of stuff is like I just needed to break out. So I, I intentionally kind of like lost myself to everybody and then went to like a couple bars. And then I just went walking the beach looking for someone who to smoke weed with, basically, because I hadn't brought any. And you, you know, that's that's a pretty classic weed weed smoker thing. Is just as soon as you land, you're just like, all right, like. Who's got it? Like, what's what are the steps that are needed to take? And for me, uh, I have no problem talking with people. I love talking with people. I love uh, connecting like quickly with people. And so I'm I'm not adverse to asking anyone anything on the street, basically. And so within within like 20 minutes of me walking around, I had found, come across this birthday party of uh, industry people. They all worked in the bars and the restaurants there. And there's like six of them chilling in the dark on the beach. And like, you know, soon I'm fucking chugging beers with them and smoking weed. And then buddy, it's his birthday. So he's got a big bag of powdered mushrooms. And, you know, I had to pay for that. I had to pay 10 bucks for a couple scoops of that. But I was like, yeah, of course I'll you know contribute. Like, this is super cool. And even the, the guys were like, fuck, man. Like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you got in this group right now. But like, you're really lucky because there's some fucking assholes on this beach. And like, this is this is really lucky. I'm just like, yeah, but this is, this is what usually happens. Like, this is what's meant to happen. And I, I, this is the kind of energy I bring to it. And even when I told that story to Mark, he's like, dude, nobody has ever offered me drugs like ever. And like, he means that in a way of like strangers, like yeah. obviously like partying is one thing, but he's just like, dude, like, no, like, people giving me weed like on the street like what the fuck and I was just like no that's that's just usually what happens so it, it ended up happening like three more times on the trip I would just like go up to somebody and be like yo bro like you know can I get something and he's like well it's only illegal if I sell it to you so here you go and I was like okay that's, that that works for me but um I found that that that's it's pretty cool the the one thing you think I said that's that's key there, because I've had some similar experiences mm-hmm. and people are like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was being not super, like not, you, you see some people, like you said, chase things, right? Mm-hmm. They chase things or they feel like they need them. And I remember yeah. in 2014, I was uh, graduating college, getting ready to go away. I went to this nice. big music festival with my girlfriend and some of her girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, everybody been planning this for, for literally months. Yeah. And I decided two weeks before they're like, please come, please come. Nice. And just like managed to grab these tickets. Mm. And then this uh, guy that I knew for a while from like snowboarding had this stuff he imported from Belgium. So it was Ooh. like the highest of highest quality. Yeah. But it was just kind of like gifted like if you're going to go experience this mm -hmm. you should experience it like this of the best of the best same yeah. thing with my first time with mushrooms i avoided them for a long time because mm. i was actually scared of mm. not being able going to, down that, that yeah, path yeah you know thinking about things like you said anxiety like mm -hmm. just going man what if i'm not able to stay calm and yeah. i have a bad experience but uh, again went to this music festival this huge one in 2017 called the Oregon Eclipse Festival. Nice. And and yeah, and these people that were camping next to us are like, you came to this with no drugs? It's like, yeah, I don't really like, you know, yeah. nothing. And they're like, dude, um, if I give you a bunch of mushrooms, will you take them? Mm -hmm. I was like, you seem like an honest person and just got a good feeling from yeah, it. You know, totally. they, they weren't like, they didn't seem like scroungy people or they seemed very honest and very cool. Yeah. They were camping next to us and that was the first time and everybody's like, wait, what? Like you just, someone at a music festival where the yeah. people were like guardian things, like golden treasure. Just right, to yeah. you a giant bag of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's those kind of cool people that that really make it, yeah, that make it fun to be alive. Like, because there's that with anything, whether it's food, you know, because pe people are scroungy about food too, but you'll meet that person that's like, no, you don't get it. Like, I brought food for <laughs> you guys. And yeah. it's just, it's like, oh, okay. That's that's just their their view on on that that kind of subject, I guess. I was um I feel like kind of semi guilty if I don't have the fridge totally stocked with like mm. 30 different options. Oh, for yeah. You've been, you've, been you've been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm convinced that you only ran out to get fudge because you knew I was coming. Oh, it was part of it. I was like, I feel like I need something and it's, you know, maybe it's dinner time. But yeah, last yeah. time we crushed all those drinks are pretty good. And I oh, usually yeah. have uh, I looked at my fridge and I'm like, man, you know, but it is, it's like, was it Tuesday? And usually I restock, but, uh, yeah, no, I feel like you gotta have water's just, water's awesome as well. well honestly. And the, the, the dude, this sugar thing, I'm sitting here talking about donuts and uh, chocolate and it sounds like I have this massive sugar craving, but if you, if you yeah. haven't tried that yet, I only we've taken, taken a couple it. nibbles off of this super decadent, uh, oh chocolate gosh, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's already, drink. even that I can feel like, yeah. you know, you can totally. Oh. I yeah. was like, I want my my brain is trying to trick me to tell me what more. At the same time, body's yeah. like, dude, you already had three pieces of fudge. Yeah, like, exactly. Good. Yeah, you're dosed up. Yeah. So, again, go back to this cannabis thing. Like, what's happening in the in the world right now? There's that Olympic sprinter, that female oh, yeah. Olympic sprinter that yeah. gets you know disqualified from the Olympics for testing positive. Yeah, and, and then the UFC it, comes out and says that uh, it, or the Nevada Gaming Commission has said that they will not. Uh, consider uh, pot like a performance enhancing anymore. Yeah, so it's weird for something to be labeled as something that can ruin your life mm -hmm. and make you a, a stoner that doesn't succeed or take on personal responsibility. And then at the same time say, well, it's also performance enhancing at the highest <laughs> level yeah. of, of human performance, literally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I I don't know what the the exact argument is. I don't know if it's a, a recovery benefit kind of argument. I think there is no no science based argument that says that cannabis is actually a performance enhancing drug. Like uh, the only thing I could, yeah, like it, it's pretty ridiculous. I think, uh, but if you're drug testing people for something, you have to come up with a list of things that you're drug testing them for. And as soon as it's no longer on that list, I think you know. 
that we're just working our way through the years of dogmatic, you know, villainization of pot uh, as a thing. Because, you know, CBD now, like, again, we were drinking CBD things or like the, you know, the history or whatever of, you know, anti-pot movement was the, the timber industry because hemp was set to, you know, it is super efficient and, you know, super valuable for construction and all this types of shit. And then the, it, and yeah, cultural. It was like DuPont originally that said, yeah. oh, like let's, I have all these cotton fields and, and timber and like you're talking about. Yeah. And, and hemp was like really expensive. Then they created that machine and it became really cheap. And they're like, well, it's probably better to just make this illegal. It's going to ruin my empire that I built. Yeah. Well, and again, the the way you make anything illegal is you you have to build the other. You have to have an enemy in that thing because there's nothing there's nothing inherently negative about a plant. But if you build a social construct around it that is negative, like you know, it was basically uh, I, I forget the exact one for marijuana, but I think it was like anti Mexican. Basically, it was you know that that weird weed from Mexico. It's got a weird. It's got a Mexican name. Like you know, blah blah. blah. That's how. That's one of the ways that they sold the anti-marijuana thing. But again, it's it's totally, you know, it's it's in the, the recordings that uh, Nixon wanted to equate heroin with black people. And so that that was his way of derailing the uh, uh, civil rights movement and like fucking marijuana with hippies and the anti-war movement became no longer legitimized because they equated these two things, these degenerate, uh, you know, social degenerate, uh, items or you know consumables and then they tacked them to people that they didn't like and tried to use that as a narrative and i think that's a large part like it's, it's all narrative right like because because in other cultures they you know they they chew coca or they they have their own hallucinogens yeah. that just grow in the backyard and people have been chewing that forever and you know i don't know you know i'm not going to make an argument that uh <laughs> some of these particular home remedies are like good for you because you see you see different cultures have addiction issues even around these you know and they they rot your teeth or whatever like you know if you do something that habitually it has an effect on you no matter what and so i think again moderation is super key to to everything that you put in your body basically and as far as marijuana i'm pretty i'm pretty on board with light usage. So we were actually talking, or a friend of mine came over the other day and he was saying that his grandson uh, is living with his grandma, his like ex-wife or whatever. Um, and there's a 13-year-old and 11-year-old and the grandma and the mom and the 13-year-old all smoke weed. And now they're letting the 11-year-old smoke weed. Wow. And we, and both of us were like, wait a minute, like 13, maybe like there's there's a reason, and I'll get to that. But eleven, one hundred percent, I cannot fathom a reason why you should be giving an eleven year old person marijuana. Yeah, like the brain development, all that stuff. Like my mom smoked weed with me when I was thirteen because I went into sixth grade, and everybody was at least bragging about having smoked weed, whether or not they're smoking weed all the time. You know, who knows? But everybody was like, "Yo, bro, like, are you smoking weed yet? Like, yo, blah blah blah." And I was just like, shit, like, you know, is this the thing that everybody's doing? And my mom had told me like maybe two years before. So I was actually homeschooled until sixth grade. Hmm. Uh, and so it was in seventh grade that all this happened. But 
when I went to school in sixth grade, she was like, eventually, like, people are going to start talking about drugs. And I just want you to come to me first. And I want to have this conversation with you. And, like, if you want drugs, I'll give you the first one so that it's safe and, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, like, a year or two later, I was just kind of, like, sitting at home. And my my best friend at the time had started smoking weed. And I had had a, an hours-long conversation over homework. Uh, you know, my best friend fucking, you know, stuck out for me all the time because uh, I was a weird, weird Canadian Mexican kid with like, I had different colored hair and shit, but um, I had a long conversation, hours conversation, like, bro, like, this is going to ruin your life. Like, you know, weed is is bad. Like, you know that weed is bad. And he's like, yeah, I know, but like, I've just been starting to do it. And I was like, fuck, okay. Like, you know, that that kind of planted the seeds. But I asked my mom and I was like, hey, like, you know, is this it's that time, like, people are starting to do it. Like, I'd be surprised if I don't do it at some point. And she's like, okay, like, you know, let me talk to my friend. And so we, like, smoked a tiny bit. I was just laughing my ass off, like, you know, and I think, yeah, 13, 14, something like that. But legitimately, I didn't smoke weed for, like, another year and a half, two years, because I had that in the pocket. Like, people would be like, oh, yeah, I just smoked weed. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I smoked weed with my mom, and it was the good shit. And everyone was like, oh, damn, that's fucking <laughs> sick. Like, okay. And then I was able to like chill on it. And then, you know, other stuff happened and I, I went down like a different, a different path uh, just with the people that I knew. And uh, thankfully I didn't uh, partake in, in any of that stuff. But uh, there was kind of an understanding because I was, I was like the only one that had good parents out of, uh, or like a good home life out of any of the kids that I knew. And so there, it was always like a safe place. Like we'd go to my family's house and we'd be chilling and like, you know, my family would make dinner or just like normal, normal things. And then, you know, as soon as we leave, you know, less normal things would start happening and we'd be up to some, you know, uh, anti, anti-social behaviors, you could say. But um, there was always an understanding. And basically, if anybody went off the deep end, so to speak, uh, they they just like floated away like they didn't uh there was never any negative that came to my house because of that like nobody would show up fucked out of their minds on you know meth or heroin or something like that but that was usually where it went like they would just disappear for a month and then you know whatever it was if they were able to get back on track then they'd start coming around again but everybody knew how positive it was and they tried to maintain that what we were talking about, too, is one of the arguments for lowering the drinking age in the U.S. Oh from goodness. 21 to 18. Because if you look at Europe and some of these places, they go, hey, you know, they're having wine at the dinner table at yeah. 15, 16 in, in a responsible manner mm-hmm. around people that they trust and love and they can talk through yeah. and they can feel safe. and you Building go, healthy habits. and Yeah, and then you're not as inclined to do when you have these extremes and things are banned. It's human nature to yeah. want something we can't have or not supposed to have and so Absolutely. it creates a super unhealthy relationship kind of obsession with it. right yeah man it sounds like yeah. you had like in terms of uh, your mom being able to have those conversations with you that's a really mm-hmm. strong uh foundation yeah well and that was that was her role like my my dad he's a great role model as like a father because he just you know he worked really hard and he he showed up to every sporting event you know he he coached I was the first son, so he coached every single team I was ever on. Uh, he was young enough to to do that, and he's an athletic guy. But he definitely was not there for those kind of conversations. Like he made my mom do the the sex talk with us, 
because he was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to touch that. <laughs> and so my mom explained everything, and she she has a huge amount of she's a queen of the gay gay scene here. She's uh, she always found that they were, I mean, they were the only people that was safe for her to hang out with, basically, because she's she's a tiny, tiny little Mexican woman, and she's she's very she's a, has a very striking face. Uh, she doesn't look Mexican. She's Aztec, or she's she's some sort of native mix, and her facial features are super intense mm. and just don't, you know, it's just very refined. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's like a Persian wow. or like an Egyptian like queen or something because her yeah her her angle her features are super angled and she's super dark as well mm. and so and she's super small. So uh, I was probably only introduced to like two straight men in like my entire growing up years. Like I've got like 50 gay uncles and they're all super dope dudes. Like, you know, some of them helped me get into university. Like uh, they all, they all do cool shit. Um, and so something about weed or something. Oh, was, oh, the sex, <laughs> the sex talk. And so she had, she had a bunch of, you know, information from them about uh, boy parts and stuff. She had, she had some, download stuff that my dad would have never he probably still has no idea about but she just laid it all out for us she's like you know this is this and this you know you might have this happen and it's totally normal because trust me like out of the 50 guys like you know 90 percent of them have this happen and it's just like oh okay like fair play to you like it was super fucking awkward obviously mm -hmm. but uh but that yeah that's that's where that came from and uh again that that's the principle that she grew up with or that she created in her own uh, construct of have having children is that she wanted to be able to communicate purely and like communicate with us as adults, basically. And that was, yeah, I've been talking since I was a, like a, like this, this big. Oh man, that's awesome. I'm like, uh, uh, it was very different for me growing up in a sense mm. that not a lot of conversation about yeah. healthy things. And so what my, one of my younger sisters has six kids. Oh, wow. And yeah. I consistently am like so proud of her for the fact that she's raising what feels like little adults. You know, oh, that's like awesome. They understand their emotions. Mm -hmm. If they don't understand something, they talk about their emotions and why yeah. they're having it. They know I stayed up too late, so I'm not in a good mood. So yeah. I'm going to go. I mean, just all this, like they're, they're, they're hyper aware. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's, it's crazy to see mm -hmm. young kids have that much grasp on who, why, how, and be able to carry that into the future. So, you know, you're, so you're here in San Diego right now. I, you know, I, I didn't actually realize as much that you were visiting, like what was essentially home. Cause I kept mm -hmm. thinking of you as a Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. You just went to, to Maui fit out mm -hmm. there. I've been hanging out with some, some fitness guys. So mm -hmm. when you get back home, like what, what's your, what's your life like? What are you planning to do with this fitness stuff? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and uh, it's going to be a huge shift. Uh, I've been extremely fortunate. <clears throat> I've been extremely fortunate uh, in the last couple months uh, of the relationships I've been able to build down here, and I think all those all those principles I think do apply up in Canada. Um, I just have to bring something to the table uh, on top of the positivity that I already bring, and. Uh, and the more that I talk to all these fitness people, the more that I realize that my base of knowledge is actually pretty sound. Uh, like, you know, I, I'm not a fad guy, no matter what. Like, doesn't matter what the fad is, doesn't matter what it's, you know, what type of fat, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely like things to have precedent. 
And like some, you know, I don't know. I also don't like talking about things in a group setting unless I've got like a good three or four like backing, you know, ideas, theses around that thing. So I, I find myself actually very quiet um, at first meeting with people because I, I really like to absorb where people are coming from. And I don't like to over overstate until I'm ready to. And then, you know, the, the floodgates are open and, I'll, you know, I'll say whatever's, you know, whatever's prevalent at the time. But I definitely, that's one of my, my strategies, I guess, for, because I'm, I'm always the youngest person in any situation I've ever been in. How old are you? I am 27. Okay. So I think, I think I was like this, the youngest, or maybe there was like one or two people at Maui Fit that were like younger than me. But pretty much everybody there is a well-established fitness uh, personality. They either are well-established coaches or they're literally inventors of uh, fitness items and like <laughs> creators and stuff like that. So it was really, I mean, again, that's what I'm used to. Because uh, even with uh, hanging out with all my mom's gay friends, like they always treat us like adults too. Like she would invite us out to their like birthday parties, like, you know, not to the nightclub or whatever, but we would be there for the banter like the whole night and everybody's drunk and I'm fucking, you know, zinging people and just that, that type of like, yeah. And even when I moved to, <laughs> so when I moved to Vancouver, uh, the reason I moved to Vancouver was when I was 16 years old, I had been already kicked out of uh, school for selling weed. Uh, it was, it was just bullshit. But uh, my mom had gone to bat for me uh, to bump it down from like a ex expo from being expelled to a voluntary transfer because it, it would have been a huge deal if I'd been actually expelled and they probably could have pressed charges on me all this baloney. But um, I was being piss tested at that point and like weed was off the table. Like you know, she's she's not stupid. Like you know, she showed it to me. But if I'm gonna abuse it, if I'm gonna bring you know ruin down on my house. She, you know, she's in charge of me and I, she needs to prevent that from happening. And we're immigrants. So like if I get, if I get in trouble with the law, I leave and I can never come back. And that's, mm. you know, not a cool thing. Uh, and so I ended up going to Van. We took a, a cruise up to Alaska with my grandparents and on the way back, they stopped in uh, uh, Victoria. Victoria is the capital of uh, BC. Yeah. And uh, so I stopped there and I had my passport. So she was like, if you want, like you can on get the out. Island on South Vancouver Island. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a ferry terminal there. And so she was like, well, you have your passport. You can get off here because you're Canadian anyway. And my, my good friend, uh, he technically they dated for like, like two months while she was up in Vancouver, like finding herself or whatever. But it was like never a serious thing. He's just a really, really cool guy. Uh, he's uh, Dennis, Dennis Passy, fucking legend, legendary bartender and party animal in Vancouver. But uh, she was like, yeah, you can stay with Dennis for a couple nights. You can go to his bar and then you can go out and see your, your family out in Langley. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I've never met this guy, but we've talked over the phone. And he, he actually introduced us to George Carlin, uh, to uh, some aspects of Dave Chappelle as well as uh, like South Park as well. Like, he, you know, mm. some, some formative stuff for me. And again, George Carlin was a huge win. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so at a young age, I was just like, okay, this guy's cool. I think I was like 16 years old. But uh, I get off the boat and I show up there and it's a pride weekend actually. And so I know he knows my mom and I figured he's big into like the gay, like friend, great gay friendly scene or whatever. 
And so we, we go to his bar one night and then the next night is, is pride. It's Saturday. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, we got this boat party planned, like blah, blah. We're just going to jam out. And I was like, oh, you know, is it a gay boat party? He's like, kid, do you think I want to be stuck on a boat with a bunch of 50, you know, with 150 horny gay dudes, like sweating it up? Like, no, it's a regular boat party. Like they, they've got their own <laughs> boat party and they're going to have fun on it. Like, uh. you know, and so we, we ended up going down to the parade and we ended up going to uh, uh, this, like, we, we ended up hanging out with a huge group of gay dudes. And they ended up doing, like, whatever, the Skittles in a jar. Like, everybody puts their ecstasy pills in, like, a big bowl. And then you just, like, pick them out and just, oh, wow. like, you know, mix and match or whatever. That sounds a little crazy. But I wasn't, uh, I, it, I wasn't cleared to do that. And I'm, I'm a respectful, you know, kid, guy, person. And so he, my mom had told him, you know, a bit of my story and that I wasn't supposed to be, you know, doing anything crazy. And he was just like basically the same thing. He's like, oh, kid, you know, I feel like over this weekend, you're going to have the opportunity to do some some drugs or some bad stuff. Like, how about we just like set a limit and, you know, we'll just do this responsibly. And like, I'm cool with it if you're cool with it. How, how old were you? I was 16. 16? <laughs> yeah, okay. he, he didn't know how. He thought I was at least like 18 or something uh, because he, you know, we ended up going everywhere. But I was just like, yeah, man, like that sounds fair. I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to put you in a position. And so I'm glad that we're like clearing this up now. And so I, I think like over the course of the day, I took like three pills and just like, which which I was taking a lot of ecstasy at that point back home already. Mm. Uh, like, you know, I, I, I dabbled a lot in stuff. And that was that was part of me leaving Vancouver or San Diego in general was I needed a, a complete reset on good stuff, but um, on the on the MDA too with you know when you you said something about being cathartic earlier with something so with MDMA what I find really really fascinating is that we were using it at one point for healing trauma and you know you just have this really sort of positive kind spirit you're you're a pretty good guy from what i can tell i've got to hang out with you a bit over the last few days while you're visiting i mean having an experience like that at a young age where you're in a place i mean mdma you know causes euphoria and a an immense feeling of love and connection to people mm -hmm. around you do you feel like as you were developing as a teenager that that had some some positive impacts on how you treat the world now well, I think um, I think definitely. So I actually experienced the uh, proper therapeutic uh, uses for MDMA actually by basically by accident. I had a good friend who is uh, incredibly rich. Like his his dad, you know, was incredibly rich, uh, and so but they had like a terrible connection. Like him and he hated his dad. Uh, his dad was a dick. Uh, apparently his mom used to cut fucking like half keys of Coke, like out of the couch where he was hiding them. And just like, you know, it was a big, big blow up in the house. Uh, and so that was, he always was disgusted with his dad that he did that. Uh, but one night I brought kind of the, the riffraff over like my friends who usually wouldn't be over at the mansion, mm. but we ended up having like a, a legit party and, you know, everybody brought stuff and there was, we were super fortunate. My friend, my friend's, Parents were two lesbians that were exceptionally rich, also exceptionally rich. Uh, but she also was like, you know, abandoned by them. They were they were addicted to meth, like incredibly rich, but just spent money on dildos and meth, like legitimately. Like that's the only two things that were in that house. Uh, so she was always away and hanging out with us and trying to be away from that. But um, 
we had a connection for like really, 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 really pure uh, Molly, which nobody else had. Like, you know, there was no, like it was pure. And I found it a lot in Vancouver, but that was the only people that I knew in San Diego that had it. But we had it there and I convinced both him and his dad to take a small amount and they definitely don't usually. And it was really cool because like, whatever, three hours into the party, I'm like looking around, I'm like, where the hell is Dalton? Or, you know, where's Buddy and his dad? And uh, I go in and I find them in his room and they're just sitting there and they're just crying, bawling their eyes out to each other, like just having the, the most beautiful heart to heart. And so his dad actually, literally the next day, he signed up for a six month uh, cocaine rehab, which he's uber rich. So do you want to know where he went? Scientology. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he came back after this awesome, you know, retreat where he didn't do coke for six months, but he had unlocked the secrets of the universe and, you know, all this all this interesting stuff. And so, you know, there's, you know, there's good and bad things as to, you know, where you find your information or whatever. But at the very least, I immediately, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, that's what I wanted out of this. I wanted you guys to have a connection like that. Yeah, I'm gonna vote for Scientology over cocaine. I think. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's fair. That's pretty cool, man. It's fair. Um, well, it's and it's neat, you know. And that's this is why I like exploring different things because it's so easy for us as people to put something in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, this person did ecstasy, and so like, oh my gosh, they're out of control. But yeah. there's, uh, you've used the word moderation quite regularly, and it's important to understand the risks associated with something for someone mm-hmm. to know themselves and then to use them at times. And, and those younger experiences can really be, be formative. So mm-hmm. when you, so with all this Maui fit stuff, I mean, do these guys are, you, you, when you're talking about fads, I'm sitting here going, man, mm-hmm. I've, I felt like I've been in pretty good shape most of my life. I've definitely mm-hmm. had some times where I was operating at a pretty high, a high level. And now I feel like yeah. I'm one more, what I call the executive program for fitness, although nice. Mauricio is getting me to, to change that. So I'm going yeah. out here, you know, me and this guy are, are tying um, uh, chest like vests and then tying it to 100-pound bags of sand yesterday. And, oh, yeah. And sprinting up and down the beach. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And then, you know, using these hammers and like mm-hmm. throwing stuff around. And I'm finding a lot of fun in it. And I, I had realized, you know, as you said, fad, mm. I realized that's what I was kind of viewing some of these things as. Like, mm. I can just go get in shape. I can go to uh, whatever. I can go to MMA. Yeah. I can go to boxing. I can go, you know, lift weights, go to hot yoga. And mm-hmm. I'm going to stay in really good shape. Yeah. There's something different about what is happening in the fitness world, this sort of uh, revisiting of old things. And Absolutely. I say old things like blacksmith style training, the mace, the mm-hmm. hammer, the yeah. whatever. What are you, you know, do you, are you thinking those, when you say fat, is that what you mean or do you mean something else? That's definitely, uh, definitely not what I mean by fat because it's based in like traditional movement patterns. Like whenever people need something done, there's a limited number of ways that you can get your body to complete that task. And now we do less things. That doesn't mean we should be able to do less things. It just means that we're not put in those arduous situations every day. But if you ever were put in that arduous situation, how would you hold up? And there are super, super basic movement patterns like over the shoulder, uh, both throws and pulls that humans have been doing for freaking ever. And it's awesome when you start doing it. And there is something to, as soon as you start doing it, you feel 
like you're doing something you're supposed to be doing. Like as soon as you're using your entire body in a movement, it feels great. Like it's you know the 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 neural pathways that are connected there, it feels like you're doing something a super athletic. Like, you yeah. know, you wouldn't know what athletic means if we hadn't, you know, built a a, a definition for it but you know what it feels like. Like you feel like you are doing a thing and you are oh, dude, smashing through these sandbags yesterday. You know, he's like, all right, let's do this. And he's doing like squats and stuff and cleans. I'm like, this is cool. And I'm like, what about just, you know, I remember seeing these MMA dummies mm-hmm. and I'm like, dude, I kind of thought about getting those. I'm like, nah, I would just destroy my, my, where I live. Oh I yeah. Yeah. Those, like smashing it on the porch. Just rolling or, around. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, but I just started, I started doing exactly what you're talking about. I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, what about this? And like, pick it up twist and yeah. slam it down yeah and just the act of doing that with a hundred pounds yeah i freaking loved it i felt so good. i just want to keep going it was like yeah. okay it's a workout but it's it's fun and it you know mm-hmm. you get out a little bit of like uh, there's like that little bit of aggression because you Absolutely. have to push through everything tightens up yeah you're twisting there's a little bit of risk because you don't want to twist a back or mm-hmm. an ankle but you're in the sand so it's just enough and it's very it felt primal absolutely yeah and that's that's one of the the key things that I think are is so cool about this stuff is yeah is the feeling of confidence that it imparts on you because you are tapping into something very yeah very old in in humanity and tool use and stick use like just using sticks like we used to literally walk around 90% of our lives with sticks in our hands whether it's literally a walking stick or you know a stick for defense like you know Every single outdoor person has a stick. Like if you're, you know, again, hiking or uh, sheep herding or anything like that, those are the most basic things. And people don't hold sticks anymore. My cell phone's not a stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when and yeah, cell phones. You were you were talking earlier about uh, the effect on on children and stuff. And I I was going through high school. I graduated in 2012. So Facebook was, I, I'm like a Luddite. I, I never got on MySpace at all. I ended up on Facebook. Everybody I knew was already like, you know, well, you know, they were all coding on MySpace and I was just had no idea and had no interest at that time, partially just because of like my upbringing and just like kind of my insular uh, growing up time because I, I wasn't really in the, the child, child community, partially being an immigrant, partially just not uh, coming from homeschooling. I didn't have that, that base of, of friendship. And so it was interesting seeing young people and like the anxiety kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, all related to there's so much, like I'm all for, there's so much information in the world. I think that's awesome. I don't think that necessarily causes anxiety. Like knowing that we're at war you know, that we're technically killing Russians right now, you know, somewhere in the world because, you know, you look at it and there's just certain interests that are just going on and you're like, oh, that you're worried about that. But that that's not the kind of anxiety, the social anxiety that's developed by these, this uber connection of humans and there's no escape from it. And so it is, it's a huge, you know, debate as to, you know, when you should expose your kids to, to smartphones or the internet in general, or but you're also you're possibly handicapping them, right? Because you know, if a kid learns TikTok properly, they could set themselves up for life. And you know, it's it's hard to, you know, anybody can have their own opinions on what makes a good life. 
but you also don't want to cast disparities. I think it's like uh, it's just like what we were talking about with alcohol and things earlier. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Europe handles it much differently than the U.S., and you can mm-hmm. see the outcome. I I think mm-hmm. you know, on one hand, I'm I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but I know that. You know, some parents use the tablet as a babysitter. Right. Others use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. And it's really, and there's probably a lot of folks that are in between. There. Nice. Right in there. My yeah. Japanese wife is extremely polite. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Come on anytime. Go for it. <laughs> and even that, like uh, the the crossing of cultures. Uh, one more. Yep. <laughs> push, push hard. Push. There you go. There you go. Cool. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I I talked about it last time I was on, but my family are all immigrants. And there's something for, so my my grandma, uh, she speaks Spanish with a, or speaks English with a super thick accent. Mm -hmm. And so I actually grew up uh, the first few years uh, after I was born, my mom was working still at, at the bank. And so I lived at home with my grandma, and my mom quit her job when I had a thick Mexican accent, and I was saying, "I don't, have, I don't have to listen to you. Just stop it, no." And so she was like, "No, fuck that. I'm coming home. You know, my kid's gonna know me, and you know, whatever it is." But something about that stuck in my brain, and I love the, I, I love the interplay of languages in not knowing the same language as someone, mm. like. There is something about like all of my uh, like exes don't speak English like mm-hmm. like and I don't speak their languages either. But there's something that triggers in me that I actually enjoy that level of communication. I find I find I'm more attracted often to someone that has considered life from the perspective of speaking a different language mm. because things don't mean the same thing. You know, there's even emotions like there's this word saudade. In, in Portuguese, saudade, yeah, mm-hmm. S-A-U-D-A-D-E. Mm. And so it's it's a the closest you can get to it in English. You really, there is no translation. Mm-hmm. Like there's just not the same expression for this emotion in English. Yeah. The closest you can get is like a deep, a really deep, almost sorrowful, but sorrowful is not the best word, mm-hmm. uh, longing for something like this mm-hmm. miss, like this yearning. Yeah. But it doesn't translate. Like it, there's mm-hmm. no... English word. And so anybody that has experienced that emotion from a Portuguese, Brazilian, you know, Brazilian Portuguese specifically, because yeah, Portugal yeah. Portuguese is different, yeah. has a different way of viewing the world mm-hmm. than someone that is using the word yearning or longing or 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 deep sorrow, that kind of thing, or just missing. So mm-hmm. um, I, I find that's really beautiful because usually someone that's bilingual mm. has multiple perspectives they can think about something from. Oh, for sure. Well, and uh, it's it's been interesting uh, for her because I I met her when she had been living in Vancouver in North America for I think five years already at that point, and so she was highly highly you know inside the the culture, and she had been speaking only English or mostly only English for for quite a long time, uh, and then just even now she spent the last like nine months uh, taking or. Four months taking care of her mom when she had cancer, and then a few months after she had passed. But being back in Japan, and there was a few things that kind of like turned back on in her. 
uh, like small things. Like now she's coming home and she's cooking things that she'd never cooked before mm. that like are super basic Japanese things, but she just like had been gone so long. She just hadn't really thought about cooking them. Like she cooked gyozas the other day. Mm. I've been, we've been married five years. She's never made gyozas before. She made like a hundred gyozas. I was just like, what? Is this something you do? She's like, yeah, in Japan we do it, but I just kind of forgotten about it. Wow. And so food is, again, an, an easy uh, thing to, to kind of reference, but uh, culturally, for sure, uh, she saw major differences because, you know, women women in Japan, it's a very particular culture. It's very hierarchical. It's very masculine-dominated. Uh, and even when she was back there, she was, like, living uh, with her family. Her Her dad was there. And she was expected to cook every day. And her brother can cook, but he was working. So she's, she's happy to cook for him. Um, but it was the, the absolute mandate from her dad that, you know, I, you know, your mom's gone. Like, I'm either going to eat, like, garbage every day because I'm never going to cook. Like, I will never cook. Yeah, he, he's got some of that uh, toxic masculinity. I mean, he's a 75-year-old Japanese man. There are certain cultural stigmas that are legitimate and like you know he he views the world in a certain way in a very pragmatic way and uh it was interesting when she came back because she loves to cook and so she was cooking for my family and she kind of fell into this same cycle the same pattern like it it looks it looks similar it's totally different we don't expect the same things from her but it is the same thing like i've got my mom and brother there so she's got two people that she's not married to, one's older, one's younger, that need food every day, hypothetically. Like, where is that food going to come from? And so that just kind of turned back on in her, and it actually became like a super stressful point. And it was cool. We were like, we had a, a tiny little blow up, uh, but we were able to identify right away. I was like, well, these, these two things are similar. Do you think you're crossing over like that mm. kind of thinking style? And she's like, yeah, I totally am. Like, I'm bringing all that stress from from that into what is in North America and especially in our family, a positive thing. Like whoever's cooking is doing something awesome for the family and everybody appreciates it and everybody should be, you know, contributing in that way eventually. Uh, Someone helps with the dishes. Yeah. Someone makes a different dish. Exactly. That's yeah. Cool. And, and yeah, cooking, cooking is huge for, for me and my family and I love to cook. And so that's, that's one of the lucky things that she has in me is, is a husband that cooks for sure. Well, that's cool, man. So I know you're you're heading out of town in a couple of days. What? Uh, so again, I, I know I'm kind of bringing this back again because I, I want to go fitness, I believe. So you're yeah. That's your that's your big move right now. That's what you're focusing on. That's what you're doing. You're gonna are you gonna be training people when you get back. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually basically this everything that I've been doing in San Diego has been a big preview for everybody up in Vancouver and Canada because they've been locked down. Uh, I got here right when California opened, like literally the week it opened. So I've been running around just doing whatever uh, is cool to do. And I've got, yeah, plenty of people, uh, all my friends, all my friends are either in the industry or they are in the industry. So they're either bouncers or they're bartenders. And so the bouncers are all giant humans that are like intrigued as to what this tiny, tiny little muscle man like has to say, because they... They they love physicality and especially like the cool stuff that we're doing the the swings and that kind of stuff that's been a part of like strongman and uh, and MMA training for a while now like swinging like sledgehammers and tires and stuff uh, which I was super happy to see uh, but now being able to incorporate all these other tools that are more accessible to everybody because not everybody has a giant 
truck tire to mm-hmm. smash and flip. Uh, but to be able to do that with a mace, uh, the hydrocore is awesome too. Uh, you know, heavy clubs, all that stuff is super accessible, and people just need the introduction to it, right? So I, I actually just, I actually just uh, released my first two YouTube videos, and uh, one of the things we were talking about is how long should a video be, and especially for something like these these kind of abstract moving patterns and these new devices that people aren't overly accustomed to, like super freaking short. Like you don't want to be sitting there talking about something that nobody has a, a background in for 20 minutes or 15 minutes. Like you give them three minutes of information that's valuable. And then if they want more, they'll just continue watching your stuff. But this, this long winded, like I'm sure there's, there's analytics that say exactly how long people watch videos. And we were talking about that, like how quick you, you click off of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was you that we were talking about this mm-hmm. with. But uh, about seven seconds maybe to hook my attention. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> right? And so, so that was one of the things that was really interesting is kind of re-gearing my mind in how in not turning everything into long form explanations and just breaking it down into its smallest parts that the average person can digest and just walk away with at least that piece of knowledge and not just some like hanging tangent of this greater like concept that I'm trying to impart on them. You, you may already have some of this knowledge, but if you'd like, before you leave, I can share a little formula mm. that I learned. And it's, it's really for public speaking, but it applies to lots of things. And awesome. it's an old school Dale Carnegie thing. And I, I believe it's become pretty popular in terms of people using it for marketing, for videos, for things like that. So Hell yeah, yeah. It's easy to memorize, so. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So that's, well, that's cool then. Uh, you know, being around these guys like a, like a Mauricio or Mark or all them, because mm-hmm. um, it sounds like you're going to go back and, and work with people you know. Are you are you working out of a gym up there or a fitness facility? So that that's the interesting part, I think. I'll be working with person, with friends, uh, and some of my friends have kind of branched off into fitness because, you know, the bar industry is one of those industries that you kind of, you dabble in. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And so a few of my friends are working in either MMA training or just regular uh, personal trainer type stuff. And so part of the value that I'm trying to bring to the whole equation uh, is all of this abstract knowledge I have. I've picked up a few certs here and I've picked up a few like unique tools. Like uh, I was just hanging out with my buddy Raj. Uh, He's uh, invented the, it's called a Synapse CCR. Yeah, I was hearing about that yesterday, this like Thing where you pull yeah and- it's a it's a four to one uh pulley system that uh overloads your eccentric movements and there's no weights involved it's all just your own energy and so uh he's actually a really cool guy uh smart guy like just like mark about the science of fitness like and and formulas trying to trying to be as efficient as possible uh yeah i won't say where i was but i was i was outside of a gym and i saw them doing some some training and the you know they did a, it's a top secret gym location. Yeah, it's super. No, I just I don't want I don't want to <laughs> call them out. But uh, uh, like like when me and Mark look, we we went down around to a bunch of different gyms, mm. and you can have a gym, but the trainer inside the gym is making the decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So we went to like some really really well put together gyms, and we saw trainers absolutely ru- like like wasting people's time, or the people are wasting their own time, or just time is being wasted in like inefficient movement patterns like or an example would be like sending people out for a run like 
someone was doing like they were doing deadlifts run and then they're run before your session right well or they run were after no they did they, yeah like that should be your own warm-up or whatever but if you're trying to get better at something running only makes you better at running or like strictly cardio but there's better ways to do cardio absolutely uh that are less strenuous on like and again people don't even know how to run like it's 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 weird to even say these things because people are like what are you talking about running is like the first thing that you do in fitness. It's like, no, it's like the last thing you should do in fitness. You should be really good at so many things and then maybe incorporate running if that's like something you really want to do. But you can get all the effects of cardio from different things. Like, you know, an example would be a rowing machine. Like rowing machines are awesome for cardio or your uh, ski ski pole machines or whatever. Or even just like, I think of one of the things that helped me have crazy cardio. I think about times where my cardio, my energy was off the charts uh-huh. and I wasn't doing any cardio. Yeah. My workouts were just like, okay, instead of a one minute rest period, it's 30 seconds between workouts. Absolutely. So it's like this crazy, my heart rate is skyrocketing all the time because I'm mm-hmm. lifting weights. I'm going from exercise to exercise and doing compound yeah. movements and maybe jumping a little bit, but everything is just vigorous, intense, and I'm crushing it for 50 minutes, mm-hmm. heart rate's up the whole time. I have good cardio now. Yeah. Well, and, and again, we the the particular thing I was looking at was like we were doing deadlifts and then running and then doing a very particular set of moves with these particular implements. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there was no preparation for these super particular move sets. Mm-hmm. Like doing an RDL. Uh, What's an RDL? Uh, Romanian deadlift. Okay. Doesn't really prepare you for overhead club swinging Mm. like and neither does running legitimately so if you want to get better at an rdl you should train for an rdl and if you want to get better at running like you should be talking to someone else because you know i i'm sure there's a way to do it but no the the point is if you want to get good at particular movement sets you have to train around that and so this sometimes it's scattershot or like even in in the case yeah we're at a different gym and somebody was battle ropes. Battle ropes are a huge problem in that if you're not using them properly, you're absolutely not using them properly. And having someone just move ropes around at the end of their arms is not doing battle ropes. Like battle ropes, you, you're wrecking yourself. Like you are just ripping it so hard. It's totally a cardio thing. And then to see someone just fill in they're like, oh, you're supposed to do 30 seconds of battle ropes. Okay, 30 seconds of rope go up and down. Mm-hmm. And you're literally sitting there and you're like, I'm probably getting a better exercise watching you do that than you're getting. Mm-hmm. Like, But you've literally got one of the best tools for intense cardio and like upper body stimulation because you're just going, going, going. Sometimes do I know I've grabbed some of those ropes and I kind of wonder, like you have to be, for the way some of them are set up, if I'm a if I'm a gym mm-hmm. and I have these super heavy battle ropes, I should yeah. probably have some lighter options so someone can do it properly. Sometimes Absolutely. we go too heavy on something and we're not getting the movement right and losing that benefit. Yeah, that's, that's actually a huge thing that uh, we always talk about is uh, uh, progressive loading. And yeah, not putting someone in a position because there's no uh, there's no ego, right? Or there shouldn't be an ego. <laughs> so the fact that you can't do the battle ropes yet, maybe like battle ropes, maybe you do need to do RDLs mm. because you're going to be sitting back in that position. You have to be powerful in that hip back kind of like straight straight shin position where you're just activating your your upper body. So like, there's totally accessories that go into that. But yeah, starting someone out when they can barely lift the ropes, like you should probably 
work them up to that. And that, that is a problem with a lot of implements. So that that's up to the trainer again, right? Like that's, you've led them down that path. Even if someone says, oh, I want to do this. You're like, well, you're not going to be able to get the maximum benefit out of that. Let me show you why we should do this before we do that. And, and showing people the why is so important, right? Because everybody's, if the, if the greater why of everything is just, oh, you're going to lose weight or, oh, you're going to, you know, whatever, get slim, then that's not, that's not uh, specific enough at all. There's a guy that I had in here. His name is Max Holodrith. Mm. Super cool trainer here. He actually uh, he has a fitness app called the Fit Playbook, nice. I think is what it's called. Yeah, you were talking about him. Yeah, so I, I, he knows Mauricio and him guys too, and he's a super cool guy. So we met at La Jolla Sports Club back when that thing was open. It was a place here like pre-COVID. And, nice. Because uh, we're talking about like specific clientele, mm-hmm. you know, and as you're describing like, you know, some trainers kind of just – give into this or they do certain things. I, I remember asking him very, you know, specifically around, would you ever kind of alter a program to please a client? Mm-hmm. And he, he essentially, if I remember correctly, just said he wouldn't want to work with a client like that. He yeah. wants to work with a client that really wants to do things right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this has happened all over, not just fitness, but it happens in business, mm-hmm. happens in people's relationships For where sure. folks kind of just accept this, thing it's you know not that there's perfection in life but it's less than what it could be because it's just sort of agreed upon you know and all right you if you kind of do it right that feels good and at least we're doing something something's better than nothing and i i think that leaves a lot of room for a lack of optimization It, Mm -hmm. it just leaves leaves things out there if you're not doing it right you're not doing it right so we should want like you you know our ego gets in the way sometimes mm-hmm. of improvement. But if you really want to be the best or greatest or make the most of something, you do have to set that aside and say, you know, and, and just be humble. Yeah. And say, how can I get better at this? What could I do better? Yeah. Someone give me some advice. Someone mm-hmm. who has more knowledge in me. It mm-hmm. has to be the right advice, the right knowledge, the right perspective. But yeah. that's it's challenging for a lot of people. No, absolutely. And and that's part of the the skill of of life and and growing in any any field any profession is finding your way of learning and figuring out who teaches you the best like because you know there is a million different voices you can listen to and what's best for somebody may not be best for you uh and so for kind of finding your own flag in that or yeah finding your own way that you like to learn and then following the people as much as you should or as much as you can, who express themselves in a way that you can actually kind of connect with. That's uh, thankfully, you know, the world is so wide and there are so many voices. If you're actually good at that, if you're good at scrolling through all of the voices and you know what you're looking for, you can really find some amazing, amazing things. Uh, and that's, that's again, what I've been fortunate enough to do here in San Diego over the last few months. And so I do have confidence that when I go up to Vancouver uh, and I'm, I'm a hometown boy anyway, like, you know, that, that uh, barrier is already lifted anyway. I think uh, all of the, yeah, the way in which I learn and the way in which I see, search out people and good people uh, will totally transfer over. And I, I, I expect to have all the same success up there. That's awesome, man. Wait, I know it's getting late and the wife is like, dude, she's a rock star for being this patient. She's got yeah. something she's working on. But yeah. I want to give you some time to to plug your YouTube and mm. Instagram and all that stuff too. Was there anything else that you just really were hoping to dig into? 
Um, no, I mean this this has been a, an absolute pleasure. I'm glad that you uh, you gave uh, you found the time to to have me back. Uh, this is all all part of the the COVID breakout kind of thing, like talking to new people and getting the opportunity to to talk more to people. Like even uh, last night, again, I, I went out to, to S10 Fitness. We plugged them last time, but they're so awesome. I actually brought my younger brother down, and he was doing Atlas Stones. He's okay. not into fitness at all, but I had been given the cues and you know the way to train it uh, by the guys there. And so I was able to get him to, you know, it wasn't a huge stone, but he was getting it up onto a competition lift. And that's something that he'd, A, never done before. And even then, he said he was like, there was something super visceral about that, like, I felt connected to my body in a super new way. And I was just like, that's super cool. Like, I'm glad that that's what, uh, what fitness brings out in people. Like, uh, my family, so I'll, I'll plug uh, Five Alarm Security. My family has owned and operated a security alarm company here in San Diego for the last 20 years. Uh, super awesome. Great people that have been working for us uh, for like 16 years. Uh, super cool. Andre Baker, you know, I'll, I'll send you a link to this so you can hear your name. But... Um, <laughs> It's selling something that you believe in uh, and selling something that you honestly think will help people. Uh, and so I grew up watching my dad sell security alarm systems and there's no pressure in selling security alarm systems because someone either wants it or they don't want it. And you know that you've got a good product or like you've, you know you've got a product that some people want that's like indisputable and it, it, is, it is a benefit to some people. So all it is is going through life and finding those people and there's no pressure to it. And you know, we talked about this with Mark and how I approach people and how that's not natural to everybody, especially the, the cold call kind of mm -hmm. just dropping it right off. Like when I went out to Maui Fit, I literally invited like probably 12 locals to Maui Fit just being there. Because as soon as I start talking about something, it just naturally leads into whatever I think is good and I start selling that whether or not I have any like skin in the game. Like, you know, I don't, I don't get, you know, profits off of half the things that I, that I talk about. But as soon as I like something, as soon as I believe something is a positive for other people and I feel like I have the knowledge that somebody else is missing, I'm more than happy to express that to them in a non-aggressive way. And it's, it's one of my favorite parts of being out in public is literally just popping people's bubbles in like the best way. Cause you know, I, I don't want to be annoying and I'll definitely, I, I come up to people with the biggest smile. Like it's just, that's just the way that I was raised. And my mom and me, we do it all the time. Like we'll just be rolling through and just, we're just making friends like everywhere. And when you can do that, it all just translates because you're not, you're not searching out you're, you know, you're not trying to find an angle on people. It's being genuine. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's the main thing that uh, I think is the key to my communication style is I was, I was able to see that from a young age. Like I, like I said, I watched my dad sell like, I don't know, 3,000 security alarm systems. Like every day after school, I would just roll around with them and we would go to all these, you know, it, it was a family business. I would go into all these uh, sales meetings and just stand there and just listen to them talk. And I was just like, oh, like that makes sense. Like you're just being cool. And as soon as somebody says no, you're like, it's chilling. Like there's, there is no negative to it at all. And so as soon as people, like we were talking about this, I just got uh, certified in this uh, pain-free performance uh, specialist certification. And the first thing they were talking about is how so many trainers uh, immediately begin with the negative. 
they're like, oh, you can't do this. Like, so you need training. Like, you you can't mm. complete this task. Oh, well, you're so weak here. Like, I mean, you need training if you're going to do that. It's like, no, like, why would you start with the negative? Yes, they can't do it. So be like, you want to do this. You know, like any, any way that you can uh, turn it into a positive is a huge win. And then the, the whole selling tactic of like, oh, you know, selling scarcity or selling, you know, missed opportunity or anything like that. I don't. I've never I, been into that. Yeah, I don't. I don't subscribe to that. And so that's the the difficult part, I think, for many people, even in the fitness industry, is is if you've been in a big box gym, that that's their doctrine. That's you know, that's how you sell. That can totally get like. I mean, that's how it becomes an industry, right? It wouldn't be an industry if everybody didn't kind of do the same-ish stuff. And so that's why we're the kind of alternative fitness industry because we want everything to be positive. We want people, it's all about movement, right? Like it's not about numbers. It's not about, uh, you know, it's maybe about skill sets, but it's definitely about just people being able to live their lives with, you know, with the maximum amount of movement possible. Yeah. I believe that if you, you can sell in a virtuous fashion, Mm -hmm. if you show the benefits of something, people will connect yeah, you know, you listen really good, or you just point out the benefits. They're gonna find their own reasons, and they're gonna be more compelled versus like exactly. There's only nine of these. There's only three of these left. But that stuff works. I mean, it's it's yeah. human psychology. Yeah. So you know, but it works. I think in in certain ways with certain things, and I'm I'm much more a fan of uh, pointing out what you're talking about. That's been my my selling style in business for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool when you are just promoting. I, one of the things that's funny, I was laughing a little bit when you were talking about, you know, there's no um, no negativity when your dad would get some rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, people get very offended totally. by those things and it shuts them down. But that's a, you must have learned so much from being a part, even, I don't know whether you acknowledge it or not or realize yeah. it, but just through osmosis of being in those rooms. For sure. Being able to to work through that, man. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited, uh, you know, sometime when you come back down, you'll have to, you know, stop back by and show us where, uh, where you're at then and, yeah. and what you're doing and take, take a minute and give yourself a plug on, uh, you know, your Instagram, your YouTube, whatever else got going on. No, absolutely. So, uh, there's a new, uh, application. It just dropped, uh, last year. It's called Moxie. Uh, and it's basically like Etsy for, uh, personal trainers. It's just a platform where, uh, you can have video on demand, live classes, group classes, but, uh, it's all the, the prices are just set by the trainers, and uh, it's just a platform to put stuff up. So I've actually joined joined that platform uh, just to to get my content out, and they they have a whole structure and stuff. So that's that's beneficial for someone who's just starting out. And uh, there's it's mostly like yoga on there. So I'm actually pretty excited because uh, not a lot of I mean maces are about to blow up. Like I'm 99.9% sure we're at the cusp of like a super dope wave right now. And even I, so I do uh, Indian clubs as well, which Indian clubs were actually in the Olympic ceremonies a hundred years ago. Hmm. It was like 5,000 people in the stadium at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics spinning Indian clubs because it used to be taught in high school. It was a prerequisite for fencing, uh, any sort of sword fighting. And so even within the community that I went to at Maui Fit, nobody was doing Indian clubs there. So I, I happened to have mine. And so I was doing classes even amongst the coaches of this of Indian clubs, which are super awesome. It's all just, it's a striking art. 
it, it's training for striking. It's blocks and it strikes, and you just have a weight at the end of your hand. So I actually got to go down to uh, Horizon MMA uh, Muay Thai class out in uh, out in Maui, and uh, Shane, my buddy Shane, he ran me through fucking two hours of Muay Thai, fucking beating the shit out of me. And then at the end, he, you know, we did an hour of my my club cool down, and he was just like, "That's fucking cool, man! Like that's exactly." the same movement patterns. It's all fucking shoulder mobility and stuff. And so it's, it's super cool that I, like some, some people prefer one particular item over other ones. And so this is where, yeah, if you follow my YouTube, if you follow my Instagram, G Money Mustache on Instagram and the Martial Anatomy channel on YouTube, uh, I'm just touching it all. Like I said, we got, we got videos on Strongman. We got videos on Flow. We got videos on, you know, weighted yoga and then obviously tons of just basic basic exercise patterns with these totally abstract tools that you'll be like oh that that makes sense i've seen that a million times in the gym but it's just a guy holding the dumbbell and it's like well if you turn your hand this way and the weight is at this end of a stick instead of that end of a stick it actually makes a huge difference and so that's that's the fun that we're able to have there and uh it's been really incredible uh, being able to incorporate all of these different training styles into my own kind of, you know, I don't, I don't have a system yet. I just have, I'm just conglomerating knowledge and tools. And once I know all the tools and all the knowledge, I'll be happy to, you know, sit down and, and sensei a little bit. But for now, I'm totally riding the, uh, the learning train and just giving, giving information as I get it, basically. And so I'm really happy that uh, I have that ability and uh, definitely check it out. Uh, new videos dropping every day. I've got a whole backlog. I've been filming like every single day with all different places, all different people. And uh, that's part of the, the vibe that people have been picking up. Like everybody's cool. For, they want me to come back because they can tell that I'm putting ener- effort into it. And there's a lot of energy behind it. And uh, honestly, I mean, you can't see me, but if you go on the Martial Anatomy channel, you'll see my picture. Like I, I've got a pretty good build for somebody who doesn't use barbells. Like, and I'm not against barbells. Like, again, I love the landmine, which is technically a barbell or like a, yeah, it's a barbell that's just leaned up against the wall. But uh, there is no end to what you can accomplish with these tools. And I'm just giving people the information that uh, would allow them to implement that. I think that's awesome, man. That was a big learning experience for me in the last year when the gyms closed Mm -hmm. and I switched to kettlebells. Yeah. And as kettlebells and this air bike you see over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I I mentally, I wasn't feeling as strong because I'm like, oh, I'm not bench pressing 225 yeah. a bunch. Uh, physically, my weight, like some of my, my things started to shift and yeah. change a little bit. And then when the gyms opened back up and I went to the gym, I was like, I am still, still able to do these same things. Absolutely. And my body, in fact, in a lot of ways is actually much stronger. And mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. So you're... You're kicking ass at a lot of things. Uh, you're oh, right. You, you bring brother. a really uh, awesome energy. I can see why people are inviting you back. It's been really fun to have you. You know, we got to watch a UFC fight and all yeah, that, that cool stuff, great. man. So you're a really great guy. I'll make sure that we get uh, this up here in the next couple of days. And let's, oh, yeah. get, your, let's get your wife back home. Hell yeah. No. <laughs> we actually uh, were dropping off a gi with my dad uh, before we leave up to to Vancouver. He, oh. he wants to get into BJJ, so... Uh, we went down to Hyperfly because in San Diego is like the only Hyperfly actual store. And so, yeah, we went in there, used uh, my buddy Will Safford, BJJ's, uh, his code to get, you know, discounts and stuff. 
But uh, yeah, I'm trying to edit that out. Dropping. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't say what the code was. Okay. But uh, no, uh, I'm actually. It's really cool. Yo, know, you're a BJJ fan, and so yeah, I'm. I'm giving the gift of a gi to my pops. Uh, it's That's a late, so cool. late Father's Day, but uh, I'm. I'm happy. That's what we're gonna do right after this. Where is he gonna train at? Um, there's a Gracie school up there. I'm not sure if they'll let him in with a non-Gracie gi, but uh, there's. Uh, he's in North County. So if you have any, honestly, after this, if you have any recommendations. Check out 10th Planet Oceanside. Yeah. Oh, there he is will, one in Oceanside. He wouldn't need a gi for no, that. No, yeah, exactly. But, but I was, he should take the gi anyways. Yeah, yeah. I was telling him uh, about no gi classes and stuff because yeah. he, he was just like dipping his toes. And then I met I met Will and I was just yeah. like, he, he gave me the whole freaking history and breakdown. And so I, I came in and kind of overloaded him. But I was like, I promise I'll get you a gi. I'm sure he's got a rash guard and some shorts. Dude, so Gracie's awesome. You don't even need a rash guard. You can go in there to Under Armour your first couple of classes. Right, yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to meet Clark Gracie when you were on Mauricio at all? I know they work together on some training sometimes. No, so. I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't, but uh, I'm actually excited. Uh, Pacific Beach Training just opened up their uh, BJJ uh, classes. And so I might actually go down for gi class tomorrow. I, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's he's like a world champion black belt at, at some point. And uh, yeah, I, I recommend you. Yeah, stop by for sure, dude. Yeah, I'm getting the chills like thinking about it. So yeah, I have yeah. my my physical therapy appointment on Thursday to get oh, the nice. go ahead to see if I get to go back or not. Oh and hell I'm, yeah, like, it's really like driving me this week. But oh, I bet San Diego is a a mecca for jujitsu. At the end of Tourmaline Street, mm. if you've been down to that park uh, in like North PB that overlooks the ocean, okay, on on really on on pretty regularly. Just in the middle of the day, people will bring mats out. No way. And there's just like groups of people just rolling, like flow rolling. That's so having cool. Fun yeah. Right over the ocean. Yeah. So. No, that's super cool. Yeah, I got to do that out on Maui like one time. And so I've been looking for that here. And hopefully I'll be able to find it in Vancouver too. But yeah, it's a really cool community. And I'm, I'm glad to be stepping into it. That's awesome, man. You got to check out too, uh, since Pops, how old is Pops? Uh, he's, he's 50 this year. Okay, well then he's... He's really a young guy because there's this super awesome Instagram account and it's called the Jiu-Jitsu Grandma. Oh, okay. Hell and yeah. She's like, dude, she's like a thousand years old, yeah. white hair and all, but she's in there. She's ripping it. it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's super cool. And that's one of the benefits of Jiu-Jitsu, right? Is that it is uh, kind of a silver, silverback sport or whatever. Like you can you can do it into later years, uh, however you'd want to say yeah. that. I mean, look at Helio Gracie, that dude's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did it forever. Um, Hell yeah. It's awesome. It's been super fun. Yeah. Great to have you here. Thank you for the fudge. And yeah. yeah. Cheers. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Dedic Podcast. 